My safe word will be whiskey. Sorry, Rod, what was that? Whiskey. How's it going? This is Steve from the Lost and Dramsolation Park Whiskey Society podcast. And today we have ourselves a, well, another guest to talk to. Uh, first, uh, my co-host is here with me. Hey, it's Sean. Sean Kincaid. Uh, so th- this gentleman represents probably, I would say, the most prestigious um, and talked most talked about portfolio around being the Edrington portfolio. He's I, I will tell you, he's always the best dressed man in the room, I think. I just like every single picture of this guy is a portrait, I feel. It's been pr- professionally taken. Um, he might even wear a sport coat to bed. I don't know. Like, just always looking so dapper, so clean. Uh, and But honestly, most of all, he, he knows he knows whiskey and he's super passionate about it. He's a well-respected individual in, in the whiskey fabric, especially in Canada. And someone... someone that everybody revere and says such great things about. So today we have Cam Millar with us from, uh, well, from Edrington. How's it going, Cam? Uh, very good and even better now. I'm, I'm blushing a little bit after that introduction. <laughs> yeah, we always love to butter butter our guests up as much as possible right at the beginning so so they cooperate. <laughs> uh, half the time I was expecting to be another guest here. I thought I was the only one on there with that introduction, but uh, you're referring to me. I appreciate it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who is someone over my shoulder or <laughs> what's going on here? So we'd, lo- we'd love to start the, the podcast off with obviously talking about you, um, and in your journey, your whiskey journey, more more specifically. Uh, so, where did it all where did it all start for you, and how and like how did kind of just give us give us a story how it led you to your position with Edrington? Well, uh, I appreciate you giving the the uh, the accolades there, and I do take a lot of pride in, in looking after the Edrington portfolio. Uh, you know, no different from from yourself, uh, Steve and Sean. It's a very kind of humble beginning, driven a lot by passion and. And an opportunity. Uh, we we spoke a little bit uh, before we started recording about you know the work that goes into something like this. So I, I appreciate everything you guys do and and the man hours that go into creating something that is highly entertaining. By the way, listening to all these kind of interviews, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, uh, but you. that's what really got me into this. It's uh, an opportunity that arose in, in a world of marketing. I graduated university, and like many people uh, my age, it was you know where do I work. I don't have the 10 years experience they want me to have going for an entry level job. And I looked what was there and what I enjoyed doing. So I got into something references experiential marketing. And that's, you know, anytime you go to an event and there's a brand where you physically meet someone, you get a flyer, you sample something, that's something you experience. And so experiential marketing. And I believe in a simple rule in life, do what you're passionate about, do what you're good at and the rest will follow. Um, I wasn't good enough to be paid to play soccer, so I had to pivot. <laughs> so what I, I found was uh, this company uh, based in Toronto had actually recently um, won business to look after the World Cup uh, tour when it actually came to Canada. And so I, I joined in with this marketing agency really just to work with FIFA and work for the World Cup without ever having actually to go through all the hard work. Um, and that led into a career in experiential marketing, looking after big brands across the country. 
And then my, my now fiance girlfriend at the times company, which was similar, uh, had a little job opening for whiskey ambassadors to actually go to people's homes and do little tastings in people's homes around the city, uh, in the evening. I made sure that there was no conflict of interest. And, and I applied with no real knowledge of whiskey other than I knew I liked it. I knew I couldn't afford a lot of it. Uh, and I was raised in a household where my, my father would have a, a single mall every once in a while. Um, and usually a very peated one where I thought the house was on fire. And I'm pretty sure he did that to prevent me from getting into whiskey. But here I am now <laughs> yeah. really interested in it and wanting to learn more. So I, I went to the interview and said, I know nothing about whiskey. I've never worked in a bar. I, I just, I really like it. I genuinely have, you know, my little collections of Canadian whiskeys. I think I had uh, a blend and I'd been to a tasting once before and I thought it was the coolest thing. So um, they said, yeah, sure. You do marketing for a living. We can teach you the whiskey side. You're, you're hired. And I had a two day crash course um, and I didn't know anything. <laughs> it was, you know, if you're, if they're feeding you whiskey at eight 30 in the morning and you haven't eaten anything because you slept in, you're, you're not going to be able to, to retain a lot. So yeah, you're not uh, absorbing everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, certainly not. Um, especially after the first two whiskeys, you're like, the rest is just a wash for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but then they gave us the opportunity to go to people's homes and start talking whiskey. And I realized quickly that the people who you're speaking to know more than you, or they, you know, they know a little bit more because they've been doing it a lot longer. A lot of the audience was, you know, 15 to 20 years older than me. And so I was like, I, I don't like this. I don't know enough. I'm going to start researching it. So like any discipline, I got books. I went to the local used bookstore and I bought, um, you know, Canadian distillers. I bought, you know, the art of whiskey. The, uh, I think it was the Scotch whiskey miscellany. And you just started learning about whiskey and I'd take it up to cottages. I'd, you know, take it on long drives when I was transiting to work and you had this genuine passion to learn. And I, I ate it up. You know, I hated having to read books for university, but <laughs> you know, get the topic of whiskey in front of me. And I'm like, oh, why does it taste like that? Oh, it's the wood. Now, why do they use oak? Okay. Oh, so you're getting these colors. Well, why do they start using peat? Oh, whoa, cool. And all of a <laughs> yeah. sudden it led to a new rabbit hole. And it yeah. was just, I'd turn around to like the, my, my girlfriend, like, did you know this? And she's like, that's alien to me. And I'm like, interesting. <laughs> and then you realize after, you know, two years of kind of doing this, I knew a lot more than the people I was presenting to, even if it was basic, you know, what's a blend, what's a single malt, what's the history of it. Then you'd have a question from someone that you didn't have an answer to. Okay. Well, great question. You nod it down and then you go and find the answer. Yeah. And I was doing that after I had a full-time job, you know, during the week. So I was working 40 plus hours and then it started off twice or three times a week. I'd go out and do about two to three hours of this. And then it was four times a week. And then it was five times a week. And then they were flying me to other parts of the country to train new hires. And here I was juggling two jobs where one I, I hated because <laughs> I was trying to do my whiskey job during the day. Sorry for my old employers. I a hundred percent was doing that. Um, <laughs> I think we all do that. I said, okay, bit. that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I quit my full-time job and I started freelancing. I started, you know, finding new opportunities to represent other brands. And like anyone who quits their job, I got into real estate. I started, you know, doing all my courses. And this job I have now came up in my, my Instagram feed or sorry, my Facebook feed. I had been following a number of ambassadors, you know, Jamie, Beth, um, um, Marcio at the time, Matt Jones, and of course, Nicholas Villanon. And, you know, I, I touched base with a few of them and just asked questions 
But for anyone who knows the lifestyle of these people, they travel so much, they're so busy, not a lot of them have time to get back and, and answer young kids questions about how to become an ambassador. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I saw Nick had posted just a job description. And I said, Hey, Nicholas, I'm not a bartender. I've never worked in a restaurant, but I've been doing a, a, a whiskey ambassador locally in Toronto for over three years. Do you think I should apply? Best advice I ever got. What do you have to lose? Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's amazing that I applied for that job going in with the expectation that, uh, oh, this local guy works for other brands. You know, he's not going to get it. You know, I wore my best suit to it. I, I came in, I presented and it was really serendipitous actually. So I got to the final interview and I walk into the offices there and there's uh, a, a number of different people there. Some people from Beam Centauri who are distributors are there and, and some people from Edrington. And there was an older gentleman at the head of the table as I, I go to present. And I'm already a bag of nerves. I couldn't describe how nervous I was to present on this because as much as I knew about whiskey, I'd never really presented on the Macallan before. And here I was presenting to the people who run the brand about their brand. And at the head <laughs> of the table is a gentleman who actually conducted my first tasting I ever attended. I raised the Macallan at the Shangri-La Hotel in Toronto. I'd been given tickets because it was a snowy night and the people whose tickets they were couldn't go. They knew I liked it. So they let me and my, my girlfriend go at the time. And I watched Marc Levedier present the Macallan. And at the time, I was so enamored with this, you know, beautiful hotel, these three amazing whiskeys, talking about drinking them at different times of day with different, you know, um, types of friends. So, you know, it's very curated experience. He, he must be from France. He's talking about sherry casks. He's very French accent. And then I, I do the presentation to him almost three years to the day since I'd been in that presentation from him and I get to meet him. And it turns out he's from Quebec. <laughs> he's not from France, <laughs> but he had this air of, of prestige about him. And, you know, I, I got some honest feedback from him and the team and, you know, I didn't think I had the job. And then I got a, a, a meeting at Starbucks a week later from the person who, who was my, my my boss at the time. And he said, you know, didn't like a presentation. You know, you look nervous. Were you nervous? Yes, I was very nervous. Okay. Well, <laughs> came across as nervous. Uh, if you got the job, how would you go about improving that? And I gave an honest answer about, you know, practice makes perfect. Like anything. Yeah. No one's born, you know, knowing it. You have to embrace yourself and, and immerse yourself in it and make it your own. What? is the Macallan to Cameron. And I would, you know, take that and, and, and make it as accessible to everyone as possible because I've ever done is take information I find truly interesting and explain it in as just an interesting manner. And after that, he's like, okay, well you have the job. So, and then he kept talking <laughs> to me and, and he talked for another five, ten, five or 10 minutes. And I had to say, I'm sorry, did you offer me the job? Yeah. yeah what, yeah, what just happened? Like, okay, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I accept, I accept, please. Yes. Before it goes any further. Um, and, and I've been now in this role, uh, for, for three years. So it's been, you know, six, seven years I've been in the industry and I, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. Crazy. So what were the brands that you were presenting when you're doing the home tastings and curious. So when, yeah, when I started, it was with, uh, an agency that worked with Diageo. So we, we cover oh, okay. a number of Diageo brands. So the, the Johnny Walkers, the crown Royals yeah. and, and the single malts. And I would do a number of different events for them, but predominantly it was at these, these at home tastings where I would walk in almost 90% blind of who's in the room. What does the living room look like? And I had <laughs> to set up a full whiskey tasting for them, present to them and leave all within a, you know, a two and a half hour window. But being that it was Diageo, 
like that that's a great that's a great way to get into the industry because they got so like such a vast variety of of products that you you obviously had to spend a whole bunch of time learning so it it segued probably great into your position now it it really is because you look at sort of the scope of whiskey and i think they touch every scope whether it's that high end prestigious you know consumer who knows everything or perceives to know everything and is just, you know, willing perceives. to spend a lot more on their brains <laughs> yeah. and, and someone who, who just wants that, you know, run of the mill local. I like this. I've always liked this. It should never change. Don't tell me to like anything else. And you had a chance to talk to all these different people and find that intrinsically we all like the same thing and we all want to enjoy it together. So that gave me a breadth of experience to, to know that this is a community more than anything. And, and how you go about talking it, about it is not, mutually exclusive. It's not for one group of people. It is for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny how we get introduced to, to people. I, when I sometimes start a, a conversation with a more intimate group, I'll say, can anyone remember the first time they were offered a whiskey? And sometimes you skirt by the, well, I was 17 or 16. You're like, no, oh, let's get the illegal drinking age. Um, but you know, <laughs> yeah. so, someone's like, oh, my grandfather drank this. My grandmother loves this. Um, my, my father would always pour this on Christmas. Um, and for me, it was, you know, at moments of celebration and when it was a, a an event of, uh, of import to a number of people, it was always a nice bottle of single malt that my, my, my dad would open up. So uh, there was always this level of, of, you know, once you get there, you can have this kind of. Um, and I said, well, one day I'll get there. Like I told myself one day I'll learn how to play golf and that'll, you know, I'll make the putt and I'll shake the handle. I'll, I'll make the business deal. You kind <laughs> yeah. of sort of, you know, make this path in your head and it, it doesn't quite go to plan. But at the end of the day, I think I had a genuine interest in, in, in spirits that have stories. Um, I would walk into any liquor store and someone given a sample and I, you know, much to the chagrin of my roommate at the time, I'd be like, oh, tell me about it. What am I smelling? What am I tasting? And this is in university, right? Here we are buying the cheapest rye we can to you know, stretch our dollars as far as we can. But there's Cam over there smoozing the person trying to, you know, hawk the expensive bottle. I get it. I'd absorb it. Okay. Thank you. And then I'm going to go enjoy my discount product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny you say golfing because I remember when I was, man, I had to been 19 years old, but I bought a bottle of Macallan 12 and I put it in my golf bag. Cause it was like this special moment. And when everyone brought fireball or whatever it was for their birdie juice, when you're, when you're <laughs> golfing and then I would crack out this Macallan 12, like I was something special, but it's, it felt, it, yeah, yeah it just but- felt like, because it was Jack Daniels was in my glass. Cause that's all I could afford as an 18, 19 year old kind of thing. And, and so when I, yeah, when you spend that money, I wasn't pouring like this. I was pouring teeny tiny little sips for birdie juice kind of thing. Cause it's right. You thought it was, it gives you, it gives you a sense of pride of, of what you're carrying with you. I, I think that came across for me at, at a, a decent age, right? I think I'd be, you know, trying all these different spirits and different drinks. And when someone would get me something special or more expensive, you know, outside of my budget and I tried it, I go, wow, that is much better. I'm not going to always have that. I kind of set it aside. And yeah. when I wanted a treat, I would have it. Uh, and, and, you know, the older you got, you started seeking out things that were special. And when I started my whiskey journey, Oh man, I loved finding those great discount bottles. The, the, the wellers of the world, the, um, the Cavalans. And you're like, yeah. these are you know not really well known right now, but they tell a funky story and they're genuinely quite good. And, and that, that bang for your buck was there. Uh, but at the end of the day, you do have these bottles that you're like, this is special. I have, you know, a, a personal connection with it. Uh, my first bottle of Macallan 12 I bought was in San Francisco. 
because I, I, I couldn't get it in Canada. We didn't have any Mac 12 here. And so I went, I found it and I was like, this is something I've always wanted. I, I know about it. I've seen it in movies and here it is. And it's a journey. That's what whiskey is always <laughs> yeah. going to be is a journey to get there and getting that bottle that you guys, I know <laughs> speak about a lot. So it's, um, well, it's fun. fun. It's funny. You said you got it from San Francisco because I actually brought mine back from Palm Springs. <laughs> just so oh, I nice. can have it. Yeah. yeah. Let's, um, let's get, get into the brands. I'm actually curious what, like, what is it like being the brand ambassador for, for a portfolio like Edrington's like it's, and uh, like, I will commend you on this because you do a, such a good job stripping the pretentiousness that, that tends to lie in some of these kind of more popular brands. Yeah. You bring a real human element, which I think is so important. But from your perspective, what what is it like? Um, well, if we're going to talk about me stripping, I should probably have a drink first. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you have a, a whiskey poured, lads? Yeah, let's let's pour one. Let's do the. We're going to pour. So we're very thankful, but you sent us some uh, samples of the new fifteen and eighteen double cast. So let's start with the fifteen, Sean. Done. Done. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Just like this. Well, you you gentlemen get that poured. I always like my whiskey to breathe a few minutes after pouring it. Let yeah. a bit more of that volatility kind of reach up and you know leave you with a bit more of that wonderful rich whiskey. So um I think it's a really nice comment you made. I, I do try and make everything as accessible as possible with my whiskeys. I think if you've ever been to one of my um you know master classes, it's not about me trying to talk above everyone's head about what this is. It's about hey, this is really special. Here's what makes it special to me. Here's a fun, interesting fact I hope you get to take away from, from the day. And, you know, let's make you more confident about enjoying it and sharing it with people. Um, I, I think there's a level of prestige and, and, and um, uh, accolades that go with these distilleries. And it should never take away the fact that it's for everyone and anyone to drink it. Whether we're talking about you know, the accessibility of Glen Rothis and that kind of hidden gem nature where people uh, have seen it come and go in different phases, but really at the end of the day, it's, it's a legend of Speyside or, you know, the uniqueness of Highland Park and the cult-like status it has in Canada. Yeah. And then the McAllen, right? Whether you're seeing it in a James Bond movie or you're, you're, you're understanding what you can buy at the LCBO or, or at the local liquor store, all those elements come down to one thing and it's, it's whiskey made for people. And that's what we are. And I, I, I try and get everyone to feel as comfortable in their own skin as possible about talking about it, about enjoying it, and then hopefully sharing it. That's what the whiskey fabric's all about, as Joanne McKinnis says. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure it must feel like you're like as much as an art curator being that, especially with McAllen, right? McAllen is such a it's a collector's whiskey as much as it is a drinker's whiskey. And there's no there's no harm in saying that. But you're, you're presenting, you're presenting these like, oh, it's almost like an art form of whiskey sometimes. But in the end, like you said, it's still, it's still for sharing. It's still for sitting in the glass and actually enjoying it. That's what it's meant for. Right. Well, it's funny on these bottles, like they're embossed and it says share a dram, which is perfect. Cause I mean, we've all seen sample bottles pass back and forth, but these ones, they're cool. Like it's literally share a dram and uh, like any post I make, I always include the hashtag uh sharing with friends or sh something like that <laughs> it's like, copy and pasted so you yeah. don't actually remember what it is right <laughs> but that's exactly it like to me and steve like sharing whiskey is the best part of it it is yeah we talk all the time because we when we buy a whiskey the the reason why we're buying is because we want to 
buy it to share. When I find something interesting, all I can think about is, man, what is Sean going to think about this? Or, or, or other friends or, or other people kind of thing, the network of, of whiskey, the community that we have. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's our favorite part. Yeah, I love these little little bottles to, to share around because exactly what they're meant to do. And um, I think you want to be proud of what you're sharing. You want to understand what's in your glass and and representing Edrington. It's not like I have my favorites where it's like, okay, put on your face cam. You've got to talk about this you know, this distillery now. It never is. It's kind of go in there like awesome. I get ready to talk about this now. Uh, a great example of that is Glenn Rothis when we took the. The, the brand over. We've always owned the distillery. We didn't actually own the brand uh, uh, until two years ago. I made the first kind of deck that was being shared around in North America. And we, we got stuff from the UK, the UK. And I was like, okay, that works, but it can be better. I can, I can make it more digestible. And I get to put my fingerprints all over that. And you're almost introducing it for the first time to someone. And the passion is 100% real. Uh, I've been described as having some some very interesting vocabulary in my tastings. It's usually because I get over rambunctious about how <laughs> to describe something. I want it to come across exactly as I feel it. And uh, it, it it is a true passion. So uh, I, I think the ability for you guys to go, let's buy this bottle because I'm going to enjoy it, but I bet they're going to enjoy it. And they're going to, that's why we do this a hundred percent. As much as it is um, a legacy, I want to protect and uphold with something like the McAllen. And I want to curate what I say, curate how it's perceived. That's only because it means a lot to people, you know, for us who seek seek out these amazing bottles to get my hands on. And I, I had to fight tooth and nail to get this bottle behind me, uh, the edition <laughs> number six, because right. We, we sell everything when it comes out. There's no, there's no stock sitting somewhere for us to go. Now it's time, right? It, I wanted to pick this up because down the road, I want to share it with my niece and nephews who were born in the past two years, right? Hey, this was released in the year of your, you know, of your birth. And it means a lot to me. Here you go, right? It's, it's something for the, the next generation. So every day I get to talk about it as someone, I keep that in the back of my mind, right? So much work has got into it, but all it takes is, you know, someone to, to do something wrong. And, you know, you, you lose that legacy and, and that would be so sad. Yeah, totally. To me, like that shows the genuine nature of it. It's, yeah. it's, you know, we've all been to tastings or masterclasses where, you know, you could put anybody up there and read the script. It gets scripted and robotic. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, yeah, you get to drink some cool whiskey, but you know, to me, like when I'm there and usually paying extra money to go to these masterclasses, when you get that feedback and the, the bounce back and forth from somebody who cares about it just as much as you do being there, like that makes it so much more authentic of an experience. And that's what you remember. Like there's been tastings. I don't remember at all because it's just, you know, like you said, it could be person A, B or C up there talking and, you know, well, yeah, I want the, per I want the perspective of the person presenting the product being, I want it to be presented like he's a, like they are not he or she is a drinker, not just an employee of the company. I find that the Canadian group of brand ambassadors are all exactly that, which makes it, so like it just makes it so easy to enjoy yourself at a master class. Yeah. I think we should be stewards, not employees. And that's what we yes. are. We're stewards to the distillery. We're trying to do everything in our power to bring a little bit of Scotland into your into that room, whether you're in New Brunswick, whether you're in Windsor, whether you're in, you know, uh Victoria, 
make it feel like that person is almost sitting at that distillery bar because that's what it's all become. You know, we think about the late eighties and early nineties when traveling into Scotland's visitor centers became a thing. It's like, that's what you're trying to recreate. And back then, you know, it was a PowerPoint presentation and then, you know, off to the warehouse for a dram and that was it today. You know, you're seeing these immersive experiences at distilleries like McAllen, our whole new distillery is almost based around production and experience altogether. So I, I think us in, in Canada are lucky that we have a very captive and educated audience that's hungry for as much information <laughs> as possible. Uh, and I think most of us would prefer to do it without a PowerPoint because it's talking is the most fun. Oh, totally. oh, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. So obviously you focus your attention more around the Macallan um, than the rest of the Edrington portfolio. Is that by design? Like you said, you took over the McAllen Canada uh, Instagram page. And then uh, second part of that is um, like in Canada, the Glen Roths and even Highland Park to an extent, it's not that they, they just don't seem to get as much that level of exposure. Um, that the McAllen does. That the McAllen yeah. does. I mean, McAllen being the brand that it is, it's kind of, I guess, expected um, did you, do you have anything to, to speak to that about? Well, I guess I'd have to ask, you know, in comparison to where, you know, as the ambassador, I look after all my distilleries, you know, equally, they're all my babies. And I say that in, in complete transparency. Uh, but globally, I think it's, it's reflected the same way. The, the McAllen is in such high demand that, you know, people wanting to hear about it and learn about it. It's there. Uh, we, we Highland Park, I think we over-index in Canada. So if anything, I do have a lot of opportunity to talk about the brand um, across, again, for me, Eastern Canada, a lot in Quebec. I have some fantastic collectors in, in Quebec. Uh, you had Nick on here um, recently, and he, he's a beautiful advocate for that distillery. Um, and, and here in Ontario, I've done a number of events during COVID on Highland Park. So it may not be visible because of Instagram. It's it's poignant to the one brand to keep that messaging really transparent and clear. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very busy actually with the other distilleries as well. I, I suppose it just might be the avenues you see it in, you know, you're, you Could may not see Highland Park in the next Bond movie, but you know, it's definitely <laughs> something that's still being talked about. Yeah. And I guess, For sure. I guess, I think it was more so like, because you're obviously McAllen cam and the, the obviously taking over the page and, and, but mm-hmm. I guess when you, like, when you do think about it, the McAllen definitely draws more attention out of you just because of the product it is naturally. So a lot of questions. So people are always inquiring about where to get it, you know, what's available. It's, it's in such high demand that you've got to be really clear on helping um, give people insight. I'm, I'm a big believer on transparency and I want people to understand, okay, why can't I buy this or where is that available to me? Um, and it's a, a bit of keeping people in, in the know as, as these things constantly move and, and change with tariffs, availability, um, distillery shutdowns and reopenings due to all these different elements. It's for us to make sure people know what's happening. And so the direction for the McAllen Instagram page was to make sure that what people are getting is one narrative versus a couple of different narratives. Um, yeah. But uh, anyone who does want to learn more about Highland Park and Glen Rothis, I encourage them to reach out to me and, and we can set something up because I, I, 
I'm at a point now, especially during COVID, where I can reach anywhere with my laptop. And oh, absolutely. As, as in, impersonal as this may be, what are the odds of you and I sitting down right now and doing this in real life? It would have been pretty slim because my work wouldn't have taken me to the West Coast. And that would have been a huge miss because I'm a huge fan of yours. And I would love to talk. I, I think we spoke about meeting maybe in Edmonton a couple of years ago. Yeah. before my counterpart, Jeff, was hired. So you know, there's limitations to what we do. And, and so sometimes it's about picking your battle and doing that as much justice as possible. And that's kind of what uh, funneled down that presentation point. I remember when I first even started out in whiskey, you know, I, I knew that I found out that you were the ambassador for Highland Park and Highland Park 12 was the first ever bottle I bought myself. And then, you know, through Josh and meeting him and then He's yeah, blend freak. So of course he got me on the famous grouse. <laughs> and so he's like, just, just ask Cam, talk to Cam. So, I mean, you and I have, we go back two, three years now talking on Instagram. Exactly. And, but that's just it. Like, you know, you might think, oh, his name is Cal and Cam. Like I can't talk to for this sure. Guy. He's, yeah. you know, he reps the most well-known brand, but it was literally like from day one talking to another whiskey nerd, which is exactly what we are. <laughs> <laughs> Nerds. <laughs> we, are. we are nerds. Yeah. We are we are you know, hyper obsessive. And that's an important thing to remember. When yeah. when people approach questions about whiskey, I always want to bring back the fact that Scotch whiskey, or whiskey in general, niche market. Scotch whiskey, even more niche, right? Yeah. You know, you know, bless these 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 uh fans of blends. Without them, we would not have a scotch industry because there's 90% of the business is done through blends. So, you know, us to have these unique requirements to have, you know, well, I want my whiskey aged 15 years. That's a long time not to sell something. You, know, you need something, you know, progressing the industry. And, and you know, we're so niche and in, in, in oddball in the world that um, it's so special that we have this community to talk about and share these interests. For sure. Well, not, not that we don't want to give attention to Highland Park and Glenrothes, but today... We'll because we would be here for like five hours if we gave every all the brands attention. So we'll definitely focus a more on the McAllen today, and I think we'll just plan to have you on again to maybe talk about some of the other brands or uh, Jeffrey, obviously out west here to to speak to Highland Park and and that kind of thing. Yeah, so I'd love to. I know. I, I, but boy, boys, sorry. I just want you to get into the whiskey. I feel like I'm preventing. Yeah, you no, from no, no, no. It's whiskey, hey, we are, so we are, pa- we are patient. It's fun. Like we've been nosing it the whole time. <laughs> we good, love. Good, good. I'm the kind of whiskey drinker that just I love. I nose it far longer than I than I do taste it because I just love the smell. <laughs> I love nosing whiskey. Well, and this guy sometimes half the whiskey goes up his nose <laughs> while he noses it. So. <laughs> The problem a little angel's a, share, not that. Yeah. <laughs> problem having a big nose <laughs> goes all and a mustache yeah. that's yeah fairly absorbent. But um, so while we're nosing and getting our first sips of this fifteen year, uh, what are some McCallum expressions for you personally that you go back to or that stand out for you? I want to echo exactly what you guys said. I can sit there and nose a whiskey for a long time and. I think that's the great way about drinking it, especially if you think about how long some of these casts have sat aging, it deserves time to, to, to really get all the nuance. I call some whiskeys uh, have depth and what does depth mean? It just keeps kind of going. You're like, Oh, uh, is that chocolate? Oh, is that dried fruit? What kind of dried fruit is it? Fig? Is it, you know, sultanins? You kind of just have this little internal conversation with yourself as you go through it. And on the nose, you get to see a lot more of it. And so any of, of the McAllen's whiskeys that are 
heavy, robust are right down my avenue. Um, of course, our, our, our pillars are, are really about sherry seasoned oak casks. It's always going to be about that, that sherry influence and flavor. Uh, but you, it can come across in different ways in you know any of our ranges and even into the edition series where it kind of gives you the DNA of the casks and you go, oh, yeah, I noticed that bourbon, that hogshead, it's kind of oaky and oh, wow, no, that that rounded, rich sort of cherry butt kind of gives it a bit more base note that stretches the flavor and you can kind of start <laughs> seeing this narrative. So for me, anything that has that base note in McAllen is going to resonate with me and uh, I, I welcomed a new niece into the family yesterday morning. So for oh, sure, congrats. I had a gram of rare cask. As that's my celebration whiskey, it just always delivers. It's always a pleasing dram for me and one that you get to contemplate a lot with. It has that symphony on the nose, that velvety texture. Um, so anything really sh- sherry heavy is going to be my style personally. I know I saw that post actually this morning and I meant to congratulate you on that. I also thought you were actually drinking it this morning. I had to do a double take because I drank, <laughs> I looked at it at 7 a.m. Timestamp. Time <laughs> yeah, stamp I was like, there, yes. ah, he posted it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I'll, even uh, looking at enjoying these whiskeys, um, you know, it's it, it, my mood changes from time to time. And if it's be all and end all, right, it's what's your desert island whiskey? I, I think for McAllen, it, it's been rare cask for a few years. And people say, well, you know, why not the 18? I love the 18. The 18 Sherry Oak is, you know, a legend of whiskeys. But there's just something that resonates with me with Rarecast that I would want to share with as many people as possible. You know, there's a, a dram of 18, I think, for those moments. You know, I think the host of my friends, or MC, I should say, of my friend's wedding. And mm-hmm. I, I, I brought a, a bottle of, um, I think it was vintage 2012 um, or 2017. Maybe it's 2017. Um, McCowan 2018. Or sorry, Oh, McCowan 18. There it is. Um, <laughs> and his dad was like, Oh, I love it. I love it. Can I get another one? No, no. Why? <laughs> we don't have any more. Like that was it. I got a vintage bottle I found in the, in the U S and I brought it up and I saved it for a special date. It yeah. was your son and daughter's wedding and it's gone now. <laughs> right. That's the experience to share it with. But I, I think for, for me, it would be that style and, you know, tasting it in the morning, according to by Mark Bylock is best for blind tastings and tasting notes. But Oh really? In the morning uh, for tasting whiskey notes, ambassador. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, in your palate, afternoon palette, is best. Your palate, yeah, well, yeah, for <laughs> drinking in general, yeah, at least wait to the afternoon. But, but I guess in the morning, your palate is just less um, compromised from obviously everything that you've been tasting and eating and everything all day long. So that that does make sense. Well, for me, it's all preference. All preference for me, like I get a reset every week when i go to work because it's a dry camp i can't drink up there yeah so i go seven days without drinking and then when i come home i have to be careful <laughs> the first couple drams that i bring out the day i fly home like you know i've gotten into trouble before where i've tasted calf strength and it just like burned my mouth right out and you get a very confused liver i yeah. bet yeah <laughs> a week, week of water a week of water of life <laughs> well it's funny you mentioned that 18 sherry too because i travel lots back and forth from the states and you could find that that mccallan 18 actually fairly available um because i was going to chicago so i I could find it and i was constantly bringing it back for people that wanted it and stupid me never actually ever brought himself back one the next time i went down couldn't find it yeah Yeah. 
it's uh it's it's a again it's a, a legendary whiskey and one that is is truly a treat and i recently did a tasting for a, a mccallan collectors club and we did three the 318s the double the triple and the sherry oak and they all told a, a really great story and hearing people's personal opinions on them is great right some people love this one some people heard that one but the 18 is what this is mccallan it kind of just tells that story of, of where we've come from um and one that i hope you get another bottle soon uh steve it's it's available in different markets in Canada. We're we're getting our our share in Ontario soon, so I know my Ontario market's starved for it. But I I highly doubt it will be on shelves long. No, no, it won't at all. No, <laughs> <laughs> there's no way. So let's let's get into this. Uh, the fifteen. Yeah the the double cask range for me has been a really fun uh, expansion of McAllen's offerings. And what double cask here means is our whiskey makers are choosing two cask influences. The spirit's either been aged in an American sherry seasoned oak or a European sherry seasoned oak. The the you know, points of origin really dictating the type of wood it is. They're both oaks, but Quercus Robur, Quercus Alba are going to be different composites. They're going to impart different flavors altogether. So when you age um, whiskey in these seasoned oaks, you're going to take on different characteristics. And so that double speaks to more of a balance. The sherry oak traditionally more European oak driven, the triple cask, actually bourbon cask gets introduced, which is kind of a, a step away from that traditional Macallan style. So for me, double cask is that balance between old world and new world almost that extends itself from 12 to 15 and 18, just getting, I think, more complex. I don't want to use the more, more refined because I think the 15 for me is my favorite. And then the 18 is just jaw dropping for like, Oh, this is what 18 means for McAllen. Uh, so what you have there for 15 is this beautiful marriage of wood and spirit. Uh, the younger a whiskey may be, the spirit tells more of the story, the older it gets, whether you call that terroir or what I call it more mature and with mature comes more wood characteristics. Yeah. It's that drier, more, more seasoned Oak, like a, um, a sauna, right? Versus a fresh cut piece of wood or like a, a well, a new built deck. You get that sherried note. That's more orange peel, more of these rich caramels, and you get that decadent stickiness right on the nose. Um, but the 15 for me just catches you a little off guard on the palate, the way it's, I guess it's composed. It's got this brilliant front end kind of burst. And then it reaches back across the tongue, adding layer of, you know, this wonderful sort of creamy apple caramel note, hints of that orange citrus getting towards these more dried fruit notes. And you get into that cherry spice or, or ginger spice near the back end. Mm -hmm. And this kind of arc of flavor comes back around again with more apple and more caramel. And it kind of just has this wonderful sort of smoldering sweetness in the middle of your tongue. For sure. I was, when you said ginger, that I was actually going to interrupt you and say, I was, <laughs> I was getting some ginger kind of on the back end of the palate, but, but it's got, it's got kind of got like everything you would expect in, in a, like in a Macallan, but then it's got a real, real nice, um, like zestiness to it that I really like zesty into the, and then that kind of like morphs into the spice that you get towards the back end of, of the, and then towards a the finish kind of thing. Yeah. Like you get the, the, the classic fruits and then it kind of goes to like a fruit peel and then into the spice. Like it evolves. Yeah, like the pit, nicely. you get a little bit of that piss spiciness to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, I love that. 
it's the narrative, right? I think the whiskey makers set out to, to tell a story with double cask and, you know, seeing 12, 15, 18 side by side, you can see that going through, but I love that you call out, you know, fresh fruits to peel and then peel to pithiness and then into spice. And these are great ways that people can understand the flavors they're getting, right? Citrus is not something you might get when you think about sherry or, or scotch. And it really is that vibrancy in a 15 year old whiskey that I think gives it a, a, a different style of attitude and personality. Yeah. And with, with any kind of notes, like we've talked about this on other episodes, you know, you can only speak to what you know. So yeah, like we've all bitten into an orange peel, trying to peel it off, we've all, <laughs> yeah. you know, making cocktails and you put the little bit of the rind on there. And like, you, you understand that. Whereas like, if you would have come on and said, Oh, it's treacle and marzipan, like, yeah, <laughs> it's, that's a wormhole that we've been in down many times, but you know, it is. And like everything that you said and I said is all stuff that we're familiar with. Yeah. And it's not even from drinking whiskey. It's life. Yeah. We, we like, we're, we, we love the, the, when you, when someone gives a review of something, we love it when like give a relatable review. That's what you want to shoot for, right? Like obscure tasting notes is not what pe- people don't understand the, those really obscure tasting notes. They just really don't. So I just, that's and I loved hearing you explain it because you gave a bunch of very familiar flavors and then the assemblance of it all. And when you taste it, it's it's like bang on. Yeah, spot honestly, on. it was funny because as you were kind of talking about it, I was just like, "Oh, I'm getting this," and then you said it, and I was like, "I'm kind of getting this," and then you said it, and I was just like, "Well, I guess I won't even have to say my tasting notes." Yeah, it's like it's like the opposite of the um, the before, power of suggestion. The power yeah. of suggestion. Yeah. B- exactly. Before you said it, we were thinking it. It was like yeah. the reverse of that. No, it was, it's exactly. It's honestly, it's kind of exactly what I expected. And McAllen is. I think McCallum is kind of known for that. Whereas just like uh, there is, like you said, a, de- a decadence, there's it's refined. It should be. And because of the, it is the brand it is, it should be exactly what people want out of it all the time. And I'm sure there's a lot of effort that goes into making sure there's a special consistency to everything that they produce. It, it really is, Stephen. What you look for here is that that word of luxury. We want you to feel luxury because of what we're the the lengths we go to to try and get there are are immense. And I'm biased. I'll be the first one to say it. But looking at the effort that goes into this, it's it's wild. You know, if you and I decided today to, to open a distillery, I would, I would say, let's not do it. It's too much work. It's too much money. It doesn't make sense. Well, if you want to uh, pay it for it, makes sense to do. I'm okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah can, appreciate you, it. Can you get McCallum to fund it, and then we'll go on this venture together? Yeah. <laughs> hey, there's a lot of fun stuff at, out of Edrington coming up, so maybe you and I can uh, invest in some of those. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Let keep me posted. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, you know, you want that to deliver what people expect. When someone says the McAllen, you want it to be a level of expectation so that we've worked tirelessly to say the McAllen means this. We would we would be remiss if we put something in there that didn't represent us to its fullest. So I've got a little side question before we go back to um, our line of questions here. When you say, uh, like, obviously a distillery is going to have, especially one that's size and the output of McAllen you're going to end up with casks that just don't fit the profile. Um, now, we've been told and heard many rumors that there are parcels of McAllen casks that get sold off and bottled under, let's say, a giant box stores brand, namely Kirkland. Um, <laughs> now, 
I don't, I try not to perpetuate that myth because I don't know. And yeah. obviously like the, where the Sherry space side Kirklands are coming from will always remain a secret. Um, is there any validity to yeah, that? Is there any validity yeah. to it? I've also heard that there was before that McAllen did source, uh, were sourced for the casks. Um, or can you speak to like what happens to those parcels of casks that just won't fit? Don't fit the mold kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know we've got some bottles of McAllen that were bought back and saved and kept because a single cask was sold off in the past, because that was again, a, a way a lot of distilleries were able to inject money into their uh, bottom line and stay open. Right. It, you, you have to almost sell it immediately to, to, to keep your doors open, but the health of the brand is, is what it is today. And thanks to how hard we've worked and, and how good our liquid is and the demand for it, right. People really want McAllen. So we've gone to lengths of buying back casks to prevent anyone from you using McAllen whiskey, that it's not us doing it. That being said, you can see Gordon McPhail releases of the McAllen. I've collected a number of them. Uh, and that's a, a way of getting your hands on, you know, single cast McAllens at a price that I think more people might say, oh yeah, I can do that. Um, but there's a lack of validity to it. Even though it says McAllen, it's not really ours. We take no responsibility for it. So yeah. in terms of validity on that, I think we would have done more with our own whiskey and our own spirit than to sell it. I think that's... Uh, too easy of a route to market that we wouldn't see a, a ton of return on. So for me, I don't think there's a validity to it, but I'm not involved in those conversations. So I can't speak for it. Um, and if they did, I don't know how often they'd want to say, Oh, it's our liquid. If it did really well, which I think it did. I think a lot of people were like, wow, great bang for your buck, great value. Um, someone might want to take credit for it. So as far as I know, it, it, it didn't happen. Um, but for, uh, your question, Sean, what do we do with things that don't fit our profile? We, we, you know, we do everything we can to prevent it from not being what we want it to be, right? That goes from the distillation processes using our water sources, our ingredients, every distillery does the same thing to protect the end goal, right? Is maintaining a consistent product. Uh, and it's up to the whiskey makers to do that. If they have, I think something that stands out distinctly, but it's still really good. That's when you get these really fun, unique releases, these, these, these one-off bottlings, these, you know, travel retail exclusives, you get an ability to tell a different story of your whiskey using these, you know, unique flavors. Look at edition number three, for example, right? That was with Roja Dove, a perfumer who picked these bourbon oaks, these small casts, these really fragrant and floral and, and sort of flamboyant style that I say that is far from McAllen, but still has a bit of the character. So yeah. I think that's where you get these really cool opportunities for us to tell a different story. If it comes out and it's not to the quality that's going to be sold off to blends, right? Blends will take these new low end, you know, cuts and, 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 and use them in, into a blend that is about returning value. Yeah. So for me, I, I think that's really, you'd see it a chance for distilleries to experiment and come up with a new expression all the while, you know, staying true to their core. All right. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And one of the blends we'll talk about a little later on, because I do have a question about it, but um, <laughs> yeah. you, you mentioned and we read about it all the time that McAllen uses sherry seasoned casks. So um, obviously we know with sherry casks that come from the houses in um, bodegas know, and that, bodegas yeah. in Spain and um, that it's coming rarer and rarer. And obviously the sherry industry has a, 
a downturn in it. So it makes sense. Um, with cherry seasoning, can you just speak on the process of that and what exactly the advantages and disadvantages of doing one? Well, and this kind of lends to the consistency thing yeah. too, because now McAllen holds all the control of their cask as well. I imagine. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting concept. So I was over in Scotland two years ago, uh, for meetings and as well as obviously, um, on-site education, I got to go to the McAllen Glenrothes and, and experience sort of the, the whiskey process there and the whiskey making. Um, but the trip wasn't over after Scotland. They actually took us down into at Ez de la Fontera in near Cadiz and, and actually got to go into these cooperages, into these, uh, bodegas and meet the people who are making the casks. I made my own extremely difficult. <laughs> I, I could never make a Cooper as, as a career. Trust me, I'm too soft. Um, but um, well, at least you're honest. These questions came up. Yeah. Oh, hundred uh, percent. I, I have a funny story. Maybe later I'll tell you about me building the cask where it involves two different types of Spanish and one Canadian and it not working very well. <laughs> That's, that sounds like a, an it going into a bar joke. <laughs> <laughs> it, it almost did. It almost did. Um, but for, for us to, to, to understand that sherry seasoning and sherry casks are a really rich history that is gone through a process of becoming more and more difficult to do. Uh, Sean, you touched on the sherry industry not nearly being as popular as it once was. The, you know, the only people drinking sherry today are, are hipster bartenders and my mom on the holidays. It's you know an industry that's <laughs> yeah. unfortunately shrinking. At, at one time, these sherry casks were arriving in the UK by the boatload and being consumed, you know, widely from public homes and, and, and from estates. So when those began to become more scarce in the mid 1900s, some distilleries turned to more accessible casks like bourbon oaks. At the time, the ownership of McAllen said, we get a lot of accolades for our sherry casks. This is what we're known for. How do we maintain that? And so they went to a, 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 a higher spending, um, uh, I guess, formula or structure to continue getting those casks in. And then Spain stopped exporting casks. Now, what's important to know about these exporting casks is they weren't making the sherry. The sherry was made. Sherry is an oxidized wine. And so it sits in these Solera systems that can be used for 30 years. And so these really sexy 30-year-old sherry, sherry casks are tired. They're not really going to give you the flavor you think you might want. What, in fact, distilleries would use are casks that actually had come over and had been seasoned for 6 to 18 months going from Spain into the UK. And then the sherry would be drained and these casks would be snapped up by these whiskey distillers. And so for the Macallan, we went right to the source and said, listen, we know you're going to start bottling in, in, in-house and in-country. Can we still get casks? So what we set up in sort of the, the, the early 80s was a system where we'd have longstanding contracts I think it's 10, 20, and 30-year contracts with different producers to have wood brought over, have that wood turned into casts at different um, cooperages because they, they, they use different types of wood and they make different sizes. And then those woods that would then go to sherry producers in which then we'd pay them to rent the sherry, fill our casks with a, a dry Oloroso sherry. So this is a finished sherry. It's a, a nice sort of medium-balanced really nutty and sweetie um, wine that then would sit and replicate that travel time. So seasoning is just really marinating these casks and filling it with the flavor you typically replicate when they travel to the UK. That sherry is drained after about 18 months and that cask is fully formed and shipped to our distillery where then it's first filled uh, with the McCown spirit, aged, 
filled again, and then it's usually either retired or sold off depending on, on its use. So we only ever use them twice. That's showing you why we season them the way we do and how much we pull from them. And so we've just become more precise with how we actually refer to them on our, our packaging. Nothing's changed in how we do it. We just ensured that early on in our, our sort of lifespan as a commercial single malt, again, 70s, 80s, that's the the sort of um, plan we decided to take on. So um, quite a lengthy process, but one I think really <laughs> delivers on what we expect because it's not cask finishing at the McAllen, it's full maturity and it's mother cask. We, we don't do, you know, moving liquid to, uh, from cask to cask. Yeah. And again, like I said, it just gives, it's just, it's another step of the way to really control that consistency of, of character that, that you, that like people depend on the McAllen to deliver period. And we, we hold them to such a standard. These bespoke yeah. casks, you know, they're not just, oh, okay, Hey God, here, here's some wood. We'll, we'll see you in 18 months. We have a team in Spain and we have a master of wood, hilarious title. Wood, but <laughs> Stuart <know>. McPherson <laughs> actually oversees the sourcing of the wood, the coopering of the wood, the seasoning of the wood, and the management at the actual distillery. And I was at the uh, cooperage where they were actually toasting our casks. And we had a temperature gun on the inside and outside of the cask to find out how hot it was getting. Because by a certain charring, you're going to activate certain compounds in the wood. Yeah. Right. The beautiful science that you know Don Livermore here in Canada has really preached is, is, is on full display here where we're having these, these coopers, these master craftsmen there begin the, the, the journey of McAllen before we've done anything. It's, it begins with that. And that's an amazing level of control that we, we want to ensure that every time you open a bottle of double cast 15, you get that. And, and it's been a long time to get there. For sure. And it just, it just like, I don't know, t- talking about this stuff is always just amazing to me because it just speaks to like the, the, the craftsmanship and the, just everything that goes into producing a single malt it's it's honestly it's just incredible to me so just producing this whiskey that we pour and we enjoy but it's nothing that you actually like the the common drinker doesn't even think about that stuff but there's an incredible amount of effort that goes into producing these these fine spirits i was just gonna say it like totally speaks to the whiskey nerd inside you yeah i know (laughs) i know i was sitting it's funny because i was actually looking at where we would go next with the questioning but i'm sitting here like just compelled yeah staring cam in the eyes (laughs) just like totally drawn into what he's talking about (laughs) but then yeah now i'd snap out of it and get reorganized again but Um, it's um it's an amazing journey that these these whiskeys can take us on and yeah. the amazing part is is how much the decision making and whiskey making process is driven by the audience more now than ever you know we talk about cast strength whiskeys um sean you come back and gonna blow your head off with a cast strength whiskey back in the day that wasn't really a thing no one really drank cast strength whiskey but it became this oh i was at the distillery i had this cash sample it was amazing it was the nectar of the gods and then you know now there's like oh well why don't you have a cast strength Oh, okay. Well, we've never made one because we try and make it gentle and approachable and fun for you to enjoy. So now there's a demand and you're seeing these amazing releases with even, you know, Highland Park coming out with a cast strength in the, in the core range. And that's a commitment to the consumer. We don't have to do that. That's what's really wanted by them. And, and the amazing part is now the, the, the level of strength they have to go to, to understand the nuances of creating an, a sustainable cast strength whiskey. For sure. And I get the, well, we, and we can touch on that because we wanted to anyways, but so like the, the McAllen typically is a 40 or 43% 
spirit. And like I will, yes. I will say that this depth-wise, this fifteen especially drinks it definitely drinks higher than 43 percent depth wise not not ethanol or alcohol wise but the depth of the whiskey and the flavor and, and that kind of thing. it's not a light whiskey whatsoever it's a whiskey drinker's whiskey mm-hmm. but why like what why 40 43 percent is it just because they're trying to appeal to a broader spectrum of drinkers period or is it or is i'm sure there's other considerations involved well yeah it's you know, we're, we're not the be all and end all. And, and, you know, I think as someone who, who works really hard to create an inclusive and open environment for whiskey drinkers of any, you know, background, we, we don't set the rules. We, we follow them and we, we want to extend these rules as far as we can go to, to create something special. So with us, who's, you know, not doing that. Everyone makes 40, 43. It's, you know, a lot of different elements come into play. Why producers do that. It's not just the Macallan. Um, you know, as law states, the, the lowest ABV a whiskey can be in Scotland is 40%. So distilleries will typically go down to that to make it as accessible, to, to make it as affordable, and, and for a number of other elements for, for the consumer. Um, and it was even lower during World War II, it was 37 point something else, right? So, yeah. you know, these, these rules are, are, are in place to protect the consumer and, and also to, for distilleries to play with them. Um, but why you, you might notice that, you know, double cast 15 at 43% ABV has got a bit more that texture, that depth and that, that real rich, um, texture that McCown's known for will be that we, we don't put, you know, chill filtered on, on, on the label, but we do chill filter anything below, uh, I think it's 55.7%, uh, anything above 55.7 is not chill filtered. Um, but when we do, we're not doing it sub zero, we're doing it to four degrees. And so we're just capturing these subtle particles that fall out of suspension. We're leaving in, I think, more of these compounds, these oils that give it feel, they give it that, that, that texture. Um, and so it prevents us from losing anything while also maintaining that crisp, clear um, um, visual aspect on spirit that consumers all over the globe will enjoy, right? As much as I want to appease you in your beautiful basement drinking your whiskey, I also have to appeal <laughs> someone the other side of the world drinking it in a five-star hotel, right? You've yeah. got to do fit everyone's perspective there. Um, and, and so that's that's why we do. But, you know, you've seen this this trend at the McAllen to come out with um, the edition series at 48. Those are non-show filters. But, you know, it's above that 45.7 threshold. So there you get that 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 demand and that drive that people want. Um, so we, we do everything we can to, to ensure that we have the best offerings for our active audience. Yeah, for sure. And, and like the edition series, obviously have had higher ABVs and there's definitely the McCallum's with higher ABV or alcohol percentage on it. So it's, it's not like it's all they do. That's for and Cause after the launch of that 1824 series in 2012, and then obviously followed by the edition series, the, like before that, the McCallum heavily kind of they they were all kind of age stated releases and then they went to this non-age stated core range and 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 series products uh which which honestly i actually kind of admire because eight years ago 2012 the age statement on a bottle was still probably the most important piece of information that that sat on a bottle and it was it was the most driving factor or the biggest driving factor that got people to buy and mccallum was kind of boldly confident enough that they would go 
we're going to release this, these non-age stated products as our next line. And they continue that into the edition series. Now it's just funny because nowadays age, age doesn't matter as much, right? Youth is, youth is good. Non-age state is good. Like people are far more open to it, but now the McAllen's going back to kind of more age stated, uh, core releases. Um, well, there are two different things. Um, Steve, the core, the core range, uh, in similarity, the 1824 was never meant to be a, a, a replacement or a departure. Okay. It was an expansion. It was a new a new way to enjoy. Uh, here in Canada, obviously, we we would have you know been remiss to lose out on the 12 and 18. That was only because the demand for it had been so huge in places like the U.S. that it was still available. Like you and I said, we would travel to the U.S. We'd go to That's San true. Fran. We'd find a bottle pretty readily available, and you know that was kind of a, a departure for anyone who didn't actively look for outside of Canada, they would have thought, oh, they don't make it anymore, which necessarily is the case. Our opportunity was in a more, I think, whiskey mature environment like Canada, where we actually have a really good audience, despite our, our lower per capita than the US, we had an opportunity to grow our, our offering. And that's what 1824 was born into, right? We, we see this in other um, major European markets as well. And it was telling the story of color flavor driven whiskeys. You guys get it better than anyone, uh, Steve and Sean. You guys know cast types. You know, you know char types. You know peat levels. You get it with ABV as well, and the texture. You you can hear yourself talking about it. That's who we're gearing these whiskeys for because we want to drive the best possible liquid into a glass. It's giving more is what we really strive for. All the while, never straying from what we did best, sherry seasoned oaks. We just had you know, a 20-minute conversation about it. So now what you're seeing is us staying true to our values with double cast, offering more, but still having opportunity to have fun narratives. Narratives here being edition six, edition five, edition four, classic cut, estate. If anything, we're almost spoiled. For, for for choice, which is what I would love <laughs> yeah. to see, especially here in Canada. Oh, for um, sure. So for me, I don't think it's a departure. If anything, we've, we've embraced that. I wouldn't say risk taker as much as I want to say innovator role in the industry and and continue to to deliver on the promise that is in the count. Okay, cool. Um, I'm going to, uh, just because I'm pretty much done my 15. So we'll ask this next question. I'm going to pour, I'm going to get to pour to 18 to let it kind of Touch touch the air a little bit. Have you poured your 18? I poured it when I poured my 15. <laughs> oh, you poured them. Oh, you're smart. smart. Yeah. yeah. How come you didn't pour mine for me? Here I am. <laughs> Front loading. Smart yeah, man. Yeah. One of the other new releases and well, it's now the, the final release of the series since we're kind of talking about this non-age stated products is the, well, the sixth and final release of the edition series. Can you um, maybe, maybe speak to, to what exactly that creation is? Yeah, the edition number six is the the final in the series to to round out one through six, and it tells a story of sustainability. Actually, um, it's a whiskey inspired by the River Spey. And for anyone who doesn't know what the River Spey is, it's a beautiful river in the, the Highlands of Scotland that um, actually runs along the edge of Macallan Estate. Now, although we are a Highland single malt, just based on regionality lines drawn, um, we actually do have part of the River Spey as part of our estate. And so a, a beautiful river, one of the fastest running in Europe, filled with uh, beautiful wildlife, including the mighty salmon. And we have a ghillie on the property named Robert. And a ghillie is someone who actually looks after the spawning and the uh, maintenance of the River Spey or our run of the river um, and also conducts uh, fly fishing on the property. And I don't think if you've ever gone fishing, it would match an experience of fly fishing at the McAllen. It, 
pretty <laughs> picturesque, I can say. Um, and it's a, a full catch and release program. And we work with the Atlantic Salmon Trust to, to ensure the safety and the um, reproduction of these animals because our whiskey is made from the land, uh, our, our, our landscape, our water, our barley, it all comes from the earth. And we want to maintain that as much as we can with, you know, efforts going into being a, a fully green uh, distillery by the end of the decade. So we're about 90% right now. That's what this whiskey is meant to talk about. It's about being influenced by the land around you and, and a whiskey that kind of speaks to the power and influence of the River Spey. So friend of mine, uh, Steve Bremner, is a, a whiskey maker at the McAllen. Uh, he was in charge of actually creating um, concept number two, uh, Distillery World London, and now edition number six. So he's been tasked with some pretty big projects for the past few years for us. And uh, he... he is someone I think has a really cool knack for making whiskey. He's a musician and he, he really put together a whiskey that has this kind of rhythm to it. And, and I, I like that as a narrative. So uh, <laughs> if anyone has the, a bottle at home, you can always see the information on the front of the label and on the back, including cast type, fill type, and a percentage of uh, casks used in the overall production. So uh, a really cool way of understanding what you're tasting in the Macallan. Yeah, and it speaks to the transparency. I always really love that. Yeah. yeah, it's, you know, to whiskey nerds especially, like we you cherish that transparency and it's always nice to see on a box. You don't even have to open it up to see what you're drinking before you leave the store with it. I know this like one of my biggest pet peeves is going to because I, I obviously spent a ton of time, I'm sure, like you guys in a, in a liquor store in the whiskey section, analyzing everything you possibly can. And, <laughs> but nothing like nothing drives me more nuts than not being able to find the proper information on on a whiskey. Like if, if I come across something new and you, I'll look I'll look it up, I'll right, I'll Google the website, I'll go to the website of the distillery and there's just basically tasting notes and basic information uh, aged in old cast. It's like, okay, yes, I know all that, but like, show me some transparency. Like show, I want to know what I'm drinking. And the, the edition series did exactly that. That's kind of what they were delivering by the looks of it. It's what we set out to do with edition one, you know, Bob Delgarno saying here are the casts he likes to make whiskey with the most, right? He's the ones that he thinks are really fun and exciting and his preference. And then you see edition number two with the influence of food, culinary, you know, gastronomy with um, the Roca brothers at Sal de Can Roca. And you, you smell edition two and you're like, Spanish cooking. Why? why wow. <laughs> yeah. Just like that. It's amazing what these things can do. And then you look at it all oh, predominantly first fill, predominantly European oak, a lot of wood spice and sherry spice, right? It goes right into that food. And I already talked about edition three being these smaller oaks, these more spirit driven, the more aromatic styles, right? Think about perfume. It's more alcohol on the skin, right? You want it drying. You want it floral, it, citrus. That's what this whiskey speaks of. And then you go into, uh, Edition number uh, four, which I think is one that uh, really clicked for me. I like that one a Nick lot. Nick Savage, our master distiller, literally tells you, here's how I built this whiskey. Here is the foundation. Here is the form. Here is the capstone. If you're an engineer, all of a sudden it all makes sense to you because you have certain tasks that give you a baseline of, 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 of flavor. Then you have additives that give it a bit more height, a bit more of this wonderful, again, I like using music, more strings, right? More winds. You start layering in these casks of flavor that tell an overall story. And for him to do that on the box, I was blown away. I was like, the, cat, the new distillery is stunning, but you just explained single malt making 
on a box. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't have done it better myself. <laughs> uh, and then with, with edition five color, you know, so many people, you know, look at whiskeys and go, wow, that's dark. I want to drink it. <laughs> yeah. and that's how I was. I always thought a dark whiskey was older. And then you start learning. Well, if it's really heavily charred, you can get a natural darkening of the liquid just by what? Before it even ages very long. Well, like a um, bourbon, right? You can use. Yeah, exactly. You can use caramel coloring in Scotland to color correct your whiskey. And if you color correct a little too far, you know, it's quite dark. And, you know, that could be pulling the wool over someone's eyes. And it's not going to change the color. Sorry, not going to change the flavor or performance. I'm not saying it's bad to do that. But for, for you know, us to say we're naturally colored and the, the distillers uh, team of whiskey makers to have to put that together and get a, a nice color consistently, I do not envy them. I saw... Yeah a range of 50 cask samples on the whiskey making bench, all the same wood, all the same age. It looked like a kaleidoscope of colors, yellows, <laughs> rubies, everything in between. And the noses were all different. Well, that's sulfuric. That's really heavy. That's non-existent. That's really floral. Amazing variety on them. And now those are the building blocks that these uh, creators will use. And so with, with edition five, Sarah Burgess used all American oak never done before for McAllen. That's wild for her to put her name on that box, stand out confidently and do that. I applauded her. I was like, here we go. Let's see. I don't make the whiskey. <laughs> I just get to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. And wow. Does it, does it deliver? Like I, I, I've been drinking it my whole life that it screamed McAllen to me, but more of this like cracked toffee, like more into that American oak heavy, obviously, but you didn't think it was a departure from what we've always done. And then for them to make a color specifically for us, the Macallan purple, I was like, where do I get my suit that color? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're all fun stories and, and you should laugh at them and have fun with them. And, and you know, it, they are transparent, but at the end of the day, it should tell you a little bit about the person who made it. And that's whiskey making. That's, no, that's so cool. true. So true. So now that the edition series has come to an end, uh, can you speak on any future projects that uh, McAllen has in the works? Um, not if I didn't have to dispose of you, unfortunately, <laughs> Sean, but um, no, just, it's, just Sean it's, though, right? You're not disposing of me oh, too, right? It just, as long as you earmuff, it might be okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he'll go out happy though. Um, no, it's, it's interesting for, for us. We usually find out projects two to three years in advance of what's happening. And for us, it's a focus on finishing out that story narrative and then filling it with something that's going to continue telling our story of the McCown. What that story is, I'm not sure. I know we're looking at being sustainable and it may speak more towards that and speaking about how we go about that at the distillery. That's probably where I see us going. But um, the, the good news is in, 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 I guess, close proximity to the edition series, you have classic cut. This is a, a, a series now in its fourth year at 2020, just over my shoulder here for, for the video, um, that's been made by different people over the past few years from, from Bob Delgarno to, to, um, Polly Logan now making it who, who get to have their own expression of their preferred, um, ABV on a higher proof and, and strength of the Macallan. And, and then you've also got, you know, really unique releases like the Macallan estate, which used more estate grown barley and really tied into the source of our land closer. So uh, I'd love to give you an answer and tip you off to, to a hot hint, but I'm sure Reddit has a lot more of them than I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's okay. We thought we'd try at least. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> Always uh, happy to let you try. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so let's uh, let's take a moment because the 18's been sitting. Well, it's been sitting in Sean's glass for like 20 an hour, <laughs> but it's been sitting in mine for long enough that it's aired out. And it's like right right off the bat, it it knows is it definitely knows is its age compared to the to the 15 it's definitely not as spry um mm-hmm. it doesn't have those the youthful qualities that the that the 15 has a little more kind of wet oak and, and some yeah. mustiness and that but um just because i love hearing you talk about whiskey uh what like what are the subtleties that you point out between the two i, I think you really hit them on the head right there um steve if you think about leaving it a bit longer in the oak. It's not an egg timer. Anyone who thinks that, you know, ding, 12 years, it's ready. 15, it's ready. <laughs> yeah. 18, here we go. It's not. It's a constant, constant work of looking for casts that have that quality and that standard we set. Um, the backlot staff, so the gentlemen who go and actually pull cast samples for us, you know, they're, they're, they're going based on what our whiskey makers want, and here they go finding these casts for us. Uh, and it's, it's amazing to do. I, I got to pull my own little cast sample and, uh, oh, some spilled, mm, delicious, had some of that. <laughs> but they're always going to be a bit unique. So for them to take that 15 and into an 18, it's not just three years. They wanted to keep that narrative going. And what they've given you with exactly that, that musky, that more mature, more wood-driven characteristics. And that muskiness, has anyone ever walked through a warehouse of whiskey? You can almost taste the alcohol in the air. It's the angel's share. It's that evaporation, right? There's a rule of no photography inside these warehouses in case they can ignite the air. And, and that's what you're feeling. The ABV, the volatility of the whiskey is so refined that you're almost inviting it into your, your, your olfactory sense. This, this, this mature oak is no longer fresh cut wood. It's that damp, musky wood that's been maturing for a long time. And then it's supplemented by this wonderful sherried sweetness that goes deeper into that orange. Now, instead of a peel, I get almost like a chocolate orange. You know, mm-hmm. Terry's chocolate orange, if you've ever had one of those, yeah. speaks to that more cacao note, that more bitter note from the the, the wood spice. Just more right? multi a longer characteristics kind of thing, right? To the orange. Yeah, yeah, you're you're bringing in more of this, this sort of balance between spirit and wood, with that wood kind of overpowering it now. But you still have a really viscous spirit to start with at McAllen. We, you know, we're using these small stills and that that really heavy alcohol. So when you do get it on the palate, you're you're met with that compilation of fresh cut ginger, that wonderful dried apple, almost like a pie now. With you've got these like stewed apple notes, and then you get a bit of that custard sweetness to it as well, where it's still vibrant in comparison to a traditional Macallan, but you got that depth that keeps going down into the sherry spice and that wonderful warm cinnamon sweetness at the bottom end. And that'll sit lighter, not as vibrant as you said, or, or, um, uh, youthful as the 15, but more into the gums, into that wonderful drying sensation mm-hmm. that lingers sticky and almost honeyed on the palate. It definitely leaves you salivating at yeah. the end of it, for sure. And I was honestly, it's funny you said cinnamon because I was going to say, I used to always have cinnamon and sugar toast, but when you mm-hmm. pour, you've got that, I don't know, that just this is just what came to my head, but it'd be like heavily buttered bread with cinnamon and sugar on it, except I poured too much cinnamon and it was so it's like yeah. this real nice heightened kind of spiciness to it and yeah i i, I really enjoy it yeah and like with that spiciness it's almost like a wood tannin um well it leads like, into like the dryness of yeah. the the oak yeah. influence for sure yeah 
remember, it's both American and European oak still. The double cask range still speaks to both wood types. So front end is usually the American oak with that Mm -hmm. European oak being that back end. And for me, this is where you start getting those richer wood influences and that can be overpowering note that's really refined. It's really controlled by our whiskey makers to deliver what you want. You want it to be a full-bodied, robust, single malt that keeps patting you on the back, rubbing you, telling you, this is okay. This is nice. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. I, I'm feeling patted on the back right now. Yeah. But <laughs> I think that's just me wanting to drink more whiskey. <laughs> now, now, gentlemen, do you have one glass or do you have two glasses, one for each whiskey? We have one for each whiskey. If you go back now and smell them side by side, especially if you've drank all the liquid out of them, you start getting the actual wood story. You start smelling more of the cask. And here you can see strong similarities, but for me, more contrasting differences that tell you what each whiskey's personality is really like. And a great way to to, to, to refine your tasting notes. It's weird that you say that because I finished my 15 earlier. And then when I went to the 18 right off the bat, the first nose, I was like, oh, it's fairly similar. But then as I got into it and drank some and then nosed it again, I was like, okay, there's definitely a difference. And now nosing empty glasses, yeah, there's a difference you can tell for sure. I just get a lot, like going back to it, I get a lot more, I get a lot more of the American oak in the nose of the 15 than I did before. Just because yes. of the 18 shines the European out just a bit, right? Like that's the difference that I'm Certainly seeing. does. Yeah. Yep. And that's what you got to see, right? When you, when you release the Macallan 18, it, it's not just another 18. You have a certain expectation to meet. And that's set up by this bottle behind me, the Macallan Sherry Oak 18, right? The legend. Yeah. Um, and for us to come out and say, this is also an 18 that we give a stamp of approval. It's got to carry with it a certain level of quality and standards. So that's why I think it just delivers beautifully on that promise. Uh, but 15, it doesn't have any requirements. It, it's free of any expectations. And it <laughs> gets to be, I think, that one that goes, wow, that's that's really, really good. Um, and you know, for someone who, who wants to have something that sparks conversation it's the 15, the 18 puts you into silent contemplation. No, it's, I, I totally get that too. I like that youthfulness component of the 15 though. It just got this, got this kind of like spryness yeah. to it, right? That I really enjoy in it. <laughs> it, 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 tell, it talks to you, right? This yeah. is a whiskey that wants to be enjoyed. It wants to give you a bit more of a performance and that's that, that bounce on the tongue. And it's not bite. It's not this, oh, it's an edge to it. It has this wonderful sort of uh, roller coaster where you set it, this fresh fresh fruit and then pithy and citrus and then into this wonderful caramel. Like, ooh, that's what you want. It yeah. shouldn't disappear. A whiskey of that quality and that price should bring with it every expectation. And I, I love the expectations. I love people going to come and criticize the account and go, what are you going to do? Have you tried it? Have you explored it? I'm, I'm very proud of what they can do. And that's the, the best part about it. It's, it's, it's confidence. Yeah, for sure. And that, so th- this kind of leads me into my next question. Cause, it, cause it, it's just something I wanted to ask you because I know you're combating all the time, but with like with fame, obviously comes controversy, especially with with such a an iconic brand like the McAllen, and so that they find themselves kind of in the middle of um, the middle of it, I think quite a bit being being because it's every enthusiast 
talks about the McCallan because because of who they are. So is is it difficult combating that growing discernment among uh, among whiskey drinkers? Like even though even though I feel like it's probably mostly propagate, propagated by the secondary market and the collectors side of things, it's and and we know as whiskey drinkers that it is a distillery working their their ass off for lack of better words to create this premium product for their drinkers first not the people that are trying to collect it that being said a growing number of drinkers themselves are starting to lose faith that the mccallan still prioritizes their drinker satisfaction first so i'm just curious how you how you combat that how like what what is your response to that to be fully transparent, it's not a lot of my time. I, I, I know there are people out there with these opinions. I have eyes I can read and I see them, but (laughs) I think a a, a minority of people who, who, you know, bless them, have their own opinions. And I, I welcome that. I want people to say, I prefer this. I like this. This is my type of whiskey and and all the power to them. So, um, is, is there a, I think a controversy around us? I, I I don't think so. It might be a strong word, but yeah, I, I think there's a there's a group of people out there who who strongly love and support our whiskey, and it's going from strength to strength with us, especially in Canada, offering more now than ever and getting to share more and getting to do more. You said it yourself. We took on a big risk when we did 1824, and it was something that did extremely well and to offer new consumers to the McAllen. Now all we've done is bolster that with new opportunities to talk about what we do really well. So. I think it comes with the territory. We are the number one single malt by value in the world. We are world record holders for auction prices. And this is nothing that we've done. We've never propagated that. We've never tried that. All we've ever done is make our whiskey the way we do. And the way we approach our whiskey is to ensure people get to enjoy it the best way they can. So you said, do I feel like an art curator sometimes? Yeah, because to me, it's an (laughs) art form. It really is. You talk about the the, the skill set used to make whiskey. I do not have the nose to do it. I like to talk. I like to drink and I like to share with people. That's my skill set. So for people to make whiskey as good as the McAllen is and, and any of our whiskeys that I, I represent, I'm supremely proud to speak of them, yeah. um, is an art form. So for us to to have people who dissent it for whatever reason, it's 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 their opinion. They, they don't want to enjoy it. That's okay. You know, I, it gives me a chance to go and buy an extra bottle cause I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's not like, it's because of, because of who they are, it's natural for everyone to be more, more critical, right? That's just, that's just how it is. And, and it, I, like, I find myself okay. even being more critical when I talk about McAllen and it's, it's just, it's not because I'm trying to be, it's just, you kind of just get dragged into being i don't even know how to explain that but like there's always conversations within my club and and whiskey community about this right but like you said you guys are not propagating it yourself and the propaganda lies like half of the media that exists for the mccallan is completely secondary market driven and auction driven and people talking about collecting and you guys are not propagating that yourself so people need to remember auction It's for charity. Yeah. What people don't realize is a bottle got released. Oh, look at McAllen selling for this much money. And every single cent went to charity. Someone wanted to buy a piece of McAllen history, which we love. And that's, you know, something they can enjoy, but all that money went to a great cause. And I'm always, you know, willing to talk about our our charitable giving there. Um, But for us to be involved in every conversation where it's like, well, you know what? I, I think I prefer this more than the McAllen. 
great measuring stick, constantly talk about us. I don't mind. I love that. We always come into the conversation and they go, well, you know what? This is I, that McAllen. Great. Yeah. Bring us up in every conversation. Feel free <laughs> yeah. because in me, that's a measuring stick. And that usually is a sign of expectation. And if we're the, the gold standard, I'm thrilled by that. For sure. All I ask is to avoid the inaccuracies. And if you do have a question, you're, you're yourself a reviewer and you want to know more about the McAllen. My name's Cameron Miller. You can follow me at the McAllen Cameron. Ask me the question. His address is. The answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to tell you where the storage unit is, that's for sure. But um, oh. yeah, I want to answer your question. I want to help you understand it because if you don't like it for whatever reason, let's help you understand why. And then let's find the right whiskey for you. But to propagate answers of people, you know, not doing their best. I personally know my whiskey making team and the effort they put into making that whiskey is nothing short of Herculean. So I, I think that that's unfair on them. Yeah. And I think it okay. should be, you know, avoided at all costs. This is, it should be a positive environment and when it gets toxic, it's not going to help anyone, but that's every industry. It's not just whiskey. For sure. So and no, and no I, I whiskey. Hope everyone who wants answers find up. Yeah. It's yeah. not even just yeah. McAllen. Like, no, you get it. Like even with peat heads on Isla, like every single Isla distillery that's been around for more than 10 years, people talk bad about them because yeah. it's, Oh, it's not the same. It's not as good as it was. Like for me, like I didn't know any better because I haven't drank it 20, 30 years ago when I was three years old. You know what I mean? And it's not like cams holding the hand of the guy who stored away a bottle of McAllen every year and then gave it to his son. And then his son sold it and paid for college. Like well, nobody from sure. McAllen told him to do and McCall that. And like in McAllen has always been a, a product sold at a premium price range. Well, look at any whiskey in the market right now. Go to your local liquor store and look at the baseline cost. And look what we are. You know, oh, yeah. we're not trying to outprice the entire industry. We're competitive. We're here. We are. But at the end of the day, our whiskey costs the way it does, based on the way we make it. <laughs> For sure, I spent a hundred dollars on this four-year Texas straight bourbon. Right? Like, it's it's just the way. But the, but it's just if the way you the want them is. to survive, if you want them to make another bottle, if you want to support that that Texas-based sure. distillery, bless everyone in Texas who's going through the the cold snap. Trust me, I. I, I I worry for you all. I hope you're all okay, but that's what it's going to take. You go to a local distillery in your own backyard and they're going to charge you an exorbitant amount of money because that's what it costs to make to it. To produce it. Yeah. For you to go into an LCBO, an Alberta liquor store and buy a $200 bottle of 15 year old McAllen matured exclusively in sherry casks. You're welcome. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. <laughs> that's like, you know, I'm not trying to be egotistical here, no, but for sure. that's pretty wild that you can get there. And we hope that these four-year-old whiskeys turn into 10-year-old whiskeys, turn into something that becomes a legacy for our children and our children's children. Because the whiskey we're making today is not for us. It's for our kids. It's, you know, it's for the people who will come after us. And that's the amazing thing about whiskey. It's a labor of love. We do not print it. We mature it. We let it nurture. It's it's magic at the end of the day. And we're, we're lucky in a lot of these distilleries the world over to walk into our warehouses and have 200,000 casks waiting to be picked from because amongst them are magic. And, you know, whether it's a single cask or vatting, it's going to be something special for us to enjoy. No, that's perfect. You can, I knew I would get a passionate response, which is exactly what I wanted, honestly, Cam. And, and we like, sometimes we, we get on tangents. Passion is a, it's a fiery thing inside of us. So it doesn't always come out in the most joyful thing. Sometimes you get into heat. It's just natural, right? The only thing you can do and the only thing I could suggest for everyone is to obviously do 
do, do your research and, and ask questions. Well, read the labels. You know, you, you said it yourself. You, you struggle at some labels to not have a lot of information. And I'll, I'll say to other people who don't know what they're drinking, read the label. Yeah. There's a ton of information that we, we, we work really hard. And I know my marketing team, especially in, in Canada, have French and English on that packaging to make it fit and work and be as informational as possible. Because at the end of the day, we want you to know what you're drinking. And if you don't know whether you're going to like it or not, and you're scared of the investment, please, please go to your local bar. You know, Brian and I are blessed with the Caledonian here in Toronto to go in and, and be, you know, immersed in a bunch of different whiskeys, but go to your local bar and, and, and try something and, and, and drive some money into your local economy, just through whiskey. That's the amazing part It's discover whether you like it or not. And then you can begin the journey that you gentlemen go on every time you walk into a, a store looking for an old dusty coming across a new release. Yeah. It's this beautiful journey that, that should involve friends, you know, socialization and self-discovery. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> exactly. I, I literally had that discussion. Yeah. We had a group tasting virtually on Saturday after it was kind of done. Somebody asked like, where do you find these crazy bottles that you have? And I said, well, I spend a lot of my free time going into random liquor stores. You have to go on that journey yeah. in order to, to feel the journey. It's not like I can walk into the biggest store in the city and find it on the shelf every time because that's where most people go. But, you know, you do find those odd gems and you hold on to them and not... Especially not to, in Alberta. Yeah, but you don't hold on to them to hoard them. You hold on to them so, you know, three months from now when we can sit in Steve's backyard and have a fire we can all bring one of these cool dusty bottles and pour it for everybody yeah. and share it. Yeah, exactly. Like I think Cam, when we were talking a few weeks ago there, I was telling you that I randomly went into this discounter store that, and they had an old 2002 16 year PX Tomatin just sitting there for like 40 bucks and change. Like that is, and all, all I did was talk like the whole rest of the day. That's all I talked about because that that's what, that's the excitement of the journey itself, but you got to be willing to go out there. And just, I just get it. One of my favorite things to do, gentlemen, and when we could travel, when that was a thing, uh, I, I, my fiance lets me do this all the time, is we, we go into any country, Portugal, Italy, Jamaica, you go to the local store, they sell spirits, and you look around and you see what you can find. Yeah. What's available to these people? What can they drink? You, you know, you're 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 surprised that you know it's not always greener on the other side. What's discoverable to these people? We 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 are blessed with the internet. There are no barriers or borders anymore. You can find out what's available here and there, and all of a sudden you look in your own backyard. It may or may not be there, but it's amazing that it all comes down to the physical reach of these bottles. And you know, it's always fun to get something unique to that place. And I always think whiskey is tied to memory. You know something and it takes you there immediately. I think that's the great part about good whiskey is it should transport you somewhere. Um, and sometimes it's, I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm now, I'm going to buy this bottle. In Japan, I bought a bottle of Ichiro's malt. Is it my favorite whiskey? Pfft, no, but it is fun <laughs> and exciting. And it reminds me of my trip. And every time I dip into that bottle, I'm taken back to Dontonbury at Liquor Mountain, best name for a liquor store ever. And, you know, it's that memory that, that sticks with you. And that's yeah. what that whiskey represents. It's it's funny because we we just did a Japanese uh, tasting in our for this for our club, and uh, there was a rice whiskey, and it was like notes of mushroom soup. It was just <laughs> it was the most bizarre like umami, yeah, yeah, like it was like straight fungus and mushrooms on the nose, and then creaminess. Like it was just it was the most bizarre 
dram I've had in a long time. But it was so good. It was yeah, it was so good <laughs> and so interesting and I'll like um it's ingrained in my head. Yeah. Like I, I was even it's having funny, some mushroom soup. If you started that conversation, you'd never know it was going to end with, and it was so good. Right? It's kind of <laughs> well, funny that you, that you yeah. get there. But I think that um, maybe and is, that's what the whiskey should be. Yeah. <laughs> that, that might be unique to people like us who <laughs> can maybe appreciate a weirdo whiskey a little bit more. But at the same time, it's, it's all about that experience. And the only way you get to appreciating that stuff is if you kind of work your way through your journey, like we're talking about. And, and I hope you gentlemen get a chance to go over to Scotland and visit the McAllen Highland Park, Glenrothes, and you get to we see will. the place and the people because that's what it comes to. When I, when I teach or educate on whiskey, you want to look at things. So where is it made? You know, what's used to make it and, and, and who made it? Because those three you know, elements are going to tell you a lot about any individual whiskey. And they're all going to tell a story and all make it really special to that moment. Um, and that's the fun part, whether it's, you know, rice in Japan made by um, a village or a monks, or it's a single malt made in the highlands <laughs> using casts from Spain, right? It's, it all tells this kind of funny story yeah. that can be shared. And, and that's the, the beauty of it. No, I, I can't wait till we can travel again. Cause okay. there's, we're all, I know, I think we're all itching to go somewhere. So my, and there's, <laughs> my in-laws were supposed to be on a cruise that was going to overnight in Kirkwall on Orkney oh, and yeah. they like give me yeah. a list and I was like okay how long of a list do you want yeah how big how big is your suitcase yeah <laughs> I'll but, take one of everything yeah <laughs> yeah exactly we talked about how obviously the brand takes on its its critics which every brand is not without criticism so let's let's kind of sidebar and let's talk about how the McAllen and, and Edgerting as a whole um I want to talk about how they like we touched about it, but they give a ton back to charity. I knew I knew that they gave a lot back, but when I actually started looking into it, I was actually quite amazed at how much money they actually give to charitable causes and, and initiatives and stuff. It's actually quite crazy. And through COVID, they've they've been given to a couple of different initiatives and it's been large sums of money. So I'd like to kind of talk about just talk about the good in Edrington. It's something I take a, a huge amount of pride in. Um, I, I'm never one to say if you buy a bottle of Macallan, you're giving to charity. It's not that. We're owned by a charitable trust. So the more money we make, the more the charitable trust can give. That's kind of how the concept works. And okay. it's the, the Robertson Trust. So if anyone wants to look into this, it's Scotland's largest charitable trust. So we're not structured like a regular company. We don't have this, you know, board of investors that we have to appease. It's, you know, the more we can do, the better it is. And, and that, that trickles down from that UK leadership all the way into all of our markets around the globe. And, and it's all about regional support for these charities. I, I'm encouraged to take giving more days where I volunteer my time to give back to the community. Uh, we have programs in the US where it's wrapped in good. And if a cocktail is listed at a certain bar, we double match. If we, as a, as a employee of Edrington, do any charity, it's double matched by the company. So $1 actually raises three and that's exponentially greater if you think about it. So it's amazing that this is all about giving more, giving more to charity, giving more in our products and giving more so that every time I go to work, I feel like I've left it in, in a better place. So uh, locally myself, I, I, I was encouraged to take a giving more day and I 
sort of asked around, hey, what is everyone doing? And during COVID, it was actually uh, preparing meals for the homeless in Toronto. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go to one of them. Now I go every single weekend and I deliver meals to the homeless. It's it, it's just <laughs> something that seemed really simple yeah. that you never thought about before. But until you put yourself in a position to say, well, it's our it's our job to do more. It's our job to give back. Um, and, and, and having that sort of ethos stemming from the top at Edrington is, is really special to me. Um, and, and now you're seeing it at different distilleries trying to, you know, build schools in the Dominican for Brugal. It's, you know, protecting and, and making a sustainable environment in Scotland where our landscape is, is such a big part of what we've become. And in, in Orkney, protecting our island, right? Making sure that we, we have a place to, to grow our heritage where we've been for centuries. So um, it, it's something that I think a lot of people might glaze over when they, they, they talk about our brands, uh, but truly important and, and, and definitely woven into our DNA. For sure. And that, that's kind of why I wanted to give you, give you a moment to kind of speak to that. Cause I thought it was, it's a really important kind of aspect to, to the way, uh, just to Edrington's core values. And we, we do appreciate that. Thank you for letting me talk about that. I know it's always sort of fun to talk about the whiskey, but, um, it's amazing every time I have a discussion with our our leadership, it comes back to that. It comes back to giving more. It comes back to how do we ensure that we're being the best we can be that day. Um, so it's 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 a nice way to, to think about work and think about, you know, conducting oneself. Yeah, for sure. Let's go. I know Sean's been like yeah. itching and shaking his leg because he wants to talk about famous grouse and naked grouse <laughs> just for a second. So yeah, t- touch on it, Sean. <laughs> before we circle back to Cam as the person. Yeah. Um, so I, I do have a few questions just to rattle off about the grouse brands. Um, in the famous grouse brands, is, do you, is there a single source for the grain that's being used in there? There is. It's North British Distillers. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. We know them very yep. well. Yeah. Uh, yep. So awesome. they're, they're, they're supplying our grain for us. And I believe we co-own the building, uh, factory. Okay, sweet. That was easy. Um, do with the famous grouse, are, there have been special one-off releases with special caskings or anything like that. Is, do you know of any that are coming up or that they plan to do in the future? Uh, Ruby cask is probably one of my all time favorite drams just to have, uh, I went through four or five bottles myself and was remiss and sad when I didn't stock up enough to, to have down the road. <laughs> so if anyone out there has a bottle of Ruby cask, please enjoy it for me. Um, I know these are great expressions to showcase the, the, the quality of the spirit with, you know, different influences. I know, uh, the winter spice was more European Oak. Uh, I know the, um, bourbon cask was more that fun, fun vibrant note you know, when you get that bourbon influence. Uh, but I, I don't think there's a plan to, to keep those going on or expand them any further. I think what, what, what exists now is, is kind of where they'll take it. Um, the, the key focus here is, is just growing the, the continuity of famous grouse. It's the UK's most popular spirit, right? Or I should say whiskey, not spirit. Um, it, you know, it surpassed Jack Daniels a couple of years ago and kind of reclaimed that title. So, you know, massive to, to compete against such a huge brand like that. Um, and, and do well, but you know, I'll, I'll say this when I was in, uh, Aberdeen, um, watching the champions league a couple of years ago, uh, when I was in Scotland, 
the famous grouse bottles are actually upside down with a tap on the bottom and the label's actually been flipped. So it, it reads the right way up, even though the bottle's upside down. <laughs> so they drink a lot of it over there. Um, and, and, and so I, I don't think they're going to explore those t- types of stories as much, Sean. Uh, I think they're going to let the, the famous grouse and the smoky grouse be the core of that, of that brand. Yeah, fair enough. You, I mean, you stole my next question right from me about, I was going to ask if it is actually the best-selling whiskey in Scotland. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So best-selling in the UK, actually. So and it's, I, I, it's a pretty good title to have. I tell yeah. people that already. So it's a good thing that I'm you know, finding out the truth. Um, yes, you're not lying to them. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, the next one is for the naked grouse. Um, obviously, we get we can find it over here, uh, not very readily, but we do find it. I actually have a store near me that every time I say bring in a case, they bring in a case and <laughs> I buy it and Josh takes half of it. Um, but obviously with it being just the malts and it's mostly McAllen Highland Park, if I'm not mistaken, um, will it always be a blend of McAllen Highland Park? Um, so I, I love that you guys get access to naked grouse and Ontario, the LCBO orders it infrequently and it breaks my heart because that's my favorite one just to offer as people who go try and give me something new, give me something different. And, and, you know, 50 bucks a bottle, it's, it's great value for being a blended malt, which for some people didn't understand what it was. It's, it's a great combination of different distilleries without that, you know, I think, uh, distinct grain flavoring you get in, in, mm. in a typical blend. So, um, three factors into the naked grouse, uh, the McAllen Highland park and Glenrothes. Don't, don't miss out on Glenrothes. That's a big part of that blend, keeping it's, it's silky light vibrant while then being, uh, vatted and then matured additionally or finished in a naked cask or a first fill sherry cask as they're known. That's where you get that richer, spicier note. Um, it's, it's not naturally colored, but that vibrant hue to it does tell a bit more that story of what to expect with it. And at 43%, you just have a, a, a whiskey drinker's whiskey. I think that's the best way to describe it. And I think Josh would probably be a better ambassador than I would for it with all the, the praise <laughs> yeah. he gives that, uh, the, 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 brand. Um, it, I think it's going to grow. I think naked is going to take on a, um, a more definitive stance on its own. And, and I hopefully see it grow further as the blended malt category grows. You know, you see a lot of strength with other, other, you know, blended malts and we're still really young. It was a test market for, for a few years. We've only really seen it grow in the past three, four years, if that, um, and, and something that early, is going to go through growing pains. That's, you know, making sure that you have enough stock in certain markets, making sure there's an appetite for it. Um, but I have faith that that will catch on. Uh, I'd love to see it get more accolades for its awards because it is a absolutely phenomenal liquid. Yeah. And like here we get it for 45 bucks and that's like in a store that's known to be higher priced. And yeah, yeah, like the first time I saw it, it's a steal. yeah. Yeah. Josh, you know, had obviously talked it up big time. So I said, okay, well there it is. It's right down the street from my house. Pick it up. He said, if it's the 43% version, even better. And I was like, yeah, it is. And then I went back and got another one. And then Josh is like, do they have any more? I said, they have two more. He's like, okay, grab them for me. Okay. And then they didn't bring it in again. And I, for a couple months, and then I questioned it and they said, oh yeah, we can bring it in. Don't worry. They looked it up right on the computer and ordered it right in front of me. And they took my name. I said, when it's here, I'll call you. Sure enough, I get a phone Josh call. Is, like, Josh is yeah, hired. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Literally, they called me on Christmas Eve and they're like, hey, we just got the cases into like, okay, well, I'll be in after Christmas. 
And that case went, I have one, Josh took a couple, another two disappeared. And then our buddy Travis, he, he's like, I need to know what this is about. He's a big blend guy. You guys talk about it all the time. I love blends. Grab me a bottle. So I did. And then they've reordered the case again. So yeah, (laughs) it comes and it comes and goes the LCBO. I know we have a a more steady supply to the SAQ. So any of your listeners in Quebec can, can grab a bottle. Um, I know I have a few actually McAllen collectors in Toronto who've asked me to, to, to source them bottles. Uh, and, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful little gem in our portfolio that, does you know more justice for sherry casks right that's the whole point of what we do and having those three distilleries each tell their own little story it it is a a nice little harmony well and the fact that it literally has like the smallest label in all of whiskey i'm pretty sure because it's just a little neck neck label and then it's just the little uh, yeah little uh i guess the the scannable code yeah abv in the name and then the rest is just the the naked bottle that's the whole point it's we're all about transparency. We want you to be able to enjoy exactly what it is. And it's the liquid. Yeah. And yeah. it's just a little indented gross on the, on the bottle as part of the bottle, which is. Awesome. Yeah. It's slick. It's cool. Yeah. No, you can actually good. find some embossed bottles going the opposite way. So it's, it's, it's an indent in most. I was at duty free heading to visit a friend in Detroit, uh, probably over a year ago and had a, go in the opposite direction. Ooh. So because it's this new uh, brand, you might find these fun little intricate bottles in uh, other markets. So I want one if you're a collector, you know, those are really yeah. interesting things to have. Yeah. Now Sean won't sleep until he finds one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. I'll find one eventually. <laughs> so let's, let's circle back to you. Cause we, we spent a lot of time talking about the McAllen and, and that, which is, which is awesome. But um, I still want to, I want to talk about you and, and, and get to know you. So, what um like other than the obvious, what other whiskeys find their way into your cabinet or your glass, obviously outside of the brands that, that you're representing? Leaning back over my 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 screen here, I I have a lot of my own brand on on my bar, obviously. I'm sure, but, yeah. Um I, I wouldn't be a whiskey drinker if I didn't have, I think, a whiskey from every major whiskey region. So for sure. Uh America, Canada, um, Scotland, Ireland, and Japan. I think those are, you know, where you're gonna get the biggest distilleries and, and most well-known, but I love these little fun ones from different places. I mean, we talked about uh, Taiwan with Cavalan. I've been to Iceland. I've got my, my, my Loki or whatever it is, Floki, sorry. Um, I, I've had a chance to try um, Philippine whiskey. I've had French whiskey. I've had Indian whiskey. That's the fun part about it, right? Is you yeah. get to taste uh, the regionality to it. So uh, I'm always open to, to, for someone to discover something new for me. Uh, but try tested and truths. If I'm having a bourbon, you know, don't get me wrong. An old granddad, old fashioned is always going to treat you right. Um, yeah, absolutely. As well as the Knob Creek double rye, I think it's called. I had cast drink there. Uh, it was fantastic. One of the best old fashions I've ever made myself. Um, and then uh, in terms of American, no, I had American. What else did we talk about? Um, Canadian. Japanese Canadian whiskey. I'm a huge collector of the Gooderman Warts collection. I used oh, okay. to work beside the Gooderman uh, um, Flatiron Building, and Spencer was a good friend. Not that Spencer made me buy the the Gooderman Warts collection, but I liked the intrinsic connection to the brand. It spoke to where I was from, even though it's not made in Toronto. It's it's kind of connected to the distillery and tells these fun stories. Um, and and I think it was just a great tasting whiskey. Uh, so I, I I kicked up a couple bottles of those. Um, I got. I, I did Irish. get a couple of the uh, the forty year old CCs uh, just to have. I think those are going to be Canadian history down the road. So put them away. Fun little story to have with the kids. Yeah. Um, I got to ask about Irish. 
if you had to go to Irish? Ooh, um, I always liked Connemara when I started drinking because it was like, whoa, peated Irish whiskey. That's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Really hard to come by now, unfortunately. So that's that's a heartbreak. So I don't have a bottle. Um, I, I might have one in storage somewhere because I had to purge my house, but uh, that's a, a future cam discovery. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think a, a, a Tyrconnell uh, single malt was fantastic. I didn't think a Madeira cask was absolute dynamite. So we were just uh, talking about that Ed, before the show. Yeah. <laughs> the Terracotta. Yeah, so, <laughs> so that's probably where I would go. Again, you, you you know my palate. It speaks directly to what Cam likes. So um, I think that would definitely be something I would I would restock on. So if, if, if Edrington didn't exist, your brands didn't exist, and you had an option to be a rep for any other brand, whether it's a distillery or a brand itself, who would you pick? Um, can I just fight Bri for the shelter point job just to annoy him? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. We encourage that kind of behavior on here, actually. Um, I, I haven't had the pleasure of having too many shelter points, uh, even though my brother lives out in BC, I would love to go and, and experience it. So I, I can't say I, I work for them cause I just don't know enough about them yet. Um, I think being Canadian, I would, I would gladly represent Canadian whiskeys and I would love to see us be, you know, uh, winning another award for best whiskey in the world. I think we have an amazing culture here and I think there's a lot to represent. So as someone who is very proud of where he's from, I think I'd gladly represent a Canadian whiskey. And if it was a good rewards production or under Don Livermore, I think he's an absolute legend and I would be yeah. gladly learn and, and adapt myself from, from what Don's doing. I think he's an absolute industry leader um, and, and would, would happily work under his guise. And then uh, I, I think there's, there's some fun little, you know, projects in the works in different places. And I think if I'd gotten to a point in my career where I was confident enough to go in and do something, uh, startup, you know, that there could be something special to, to, to grow a brand from the ground up for someone who believes in whiskey and, and, and the risk takers who, who continue uh, day in, day out to do what they do. I think it would be remiss not to have tried a risky thing myself. So, uh, I would love to be involved in a startup and create something special and, and be the first person telling these stories that hopefully in 20, 30, 40 years are still being told and being enjoyed by whiskey drinkers like myself. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. It's a, yeah. Perfect answer. <laughs> yeah. It's, I feel like you've answered all these questions like so perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, they're great questions. I'm genuinely interested in these answers. So no, that's, that's, it makes it easier for me. Hey, you've completely compelled or yeah. were compelled. So I'll just <laughs> being a brand ambassador, what are like, what are some of the funnest parts about, about being a brand ambassador? And then what are some of the toughest parts that you find? The funnest is the people. Um, I remember my first time arriving at the new Brunswick whiskey festival, walking into the hotel lobby bar and seeing some of my team and then seeing uh, Beth Havers and, and Jamie Johnson. And I'd be like, here we go. It's like the first day of school <laughs> with recess. I'm going to be like, so who's the new guy? And they were <laughs> the, the, you know, Beth and Jamie were like, you're Cameron. Yay. Hug. I was like, Whoa, we're already hugging. Okay. Amazing. This is great. Um, it was just complete in, 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 encapsulment of, of friendship and love and affection. So it's great that we have this amazing community within our ambassadors. Um, but then it's the people I meet every time I'm at a festival for anyone, you know, dissenter you mentioned before, I've got 150 to 200 people who are absolutely just, thank you for coming. I've been dying to try this. 
I have a bottle at home. Me and my partner just went to Scotland. We got to, we, I proposed it. I'm like, oh my God, there's these amazing stories people want to share with me and, and they want to hear my stories. And there's this beautiful um, conversation that doesn't exist, I think, in, in, in regular society from sporting events and concerts, everything going more digital. This is still a world where you get to have this one-to-one experience and it happens in little bite-sized experiences. I'm just pouring a whiskey and someone grabs my ear and, hey, can I tell you something? Of course. What do you want to tell me? Or <laughs> what do you want to ask me? Um, and so it's the people first and foremost, uh, above anything, it's, it's the people. And then it's the, the education. Um, I, I used to coach my high school soccer team because none of the teachers wanted to, all I needed was a sponsor and then I could actually have a, a, a soccer team at my school. So, you know, some of the teachers would be like, Oh, are you going to go into, you know, concurrent education? Are you going to become a teacher? I said, no, I, I like myself. I'd be cruel to, to say that about teachers. I'm just joking. Of yeah, course. Of course uh, but of I course. didn't think I'd, I didn't think I'd have the, 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 the patience to, to be an educator. I think there's an, an unbelievable amount of patience for people where I would just be like, mm, no, not going to deal with you. Absolutely. I was a camp counselor for long enough. I knew not to, to go down that path, but at the heart of me, I like to educate. I like to uh, broaden horizons and ensure people are at a position to enjoy something to the best of their ability. And I, I think the ability for me to go into these master classes and by no means am I a master. The people sitting down listening to me are the masters who want to learn more. They're going to go to four, four or five other classes um, and, and absorb every bit of information and blicker um, and, and take <laughs> yeah. on some, some new understanding. And then they're going to be these people who go and talk with their friends and family about it. And I hope that my education has given them the ability to enjoy more of what they spend their hard-earned money on. Uh, and, and so the ability to, to represent these brands in a way of, of educating and marketing them via sort of living, breathing commercial is, is a lot of fun. Um, and then it's, I get to see my country. I get to travel all around Eastern Canada and sometimes into the U S and, and abroad, and I'm being paid to do it. And I think everyone can tr- should find a, a job that, that allows them to do what they're passionate about and, and has a, a return that's not necessarily monetary you can't always spend it. Right. So I, I think I'm, I've been gifted with opportunities that I would never, ever be able to do in another role, whether it's, you know, having a, a single cask sampling of McCallan 74 year old, uh, in the warehouse or sorry, in the, in the lab with Sarah Burgess to, you know, uh, being in Spain and drinking sherry with a sherry maker with a couple of my colleagues. Like these are things I would never be able to do in another role. And so, you know, that's definitely something that plays a role for me is, is being so special. Um, on the, on the side of, you know, things that maybe a drawback, there's only so many hours in the day. There's yeah. so many, so many places you can be as one person. And if I could divide myself among different locations, I would from having a, a fiance and a dog and a family here to, to being on the road. I'm lucky. I am only Eastern Canada. Yeah. We're a big country, but some of my counterparts, I think you all deserve to give them a ton of credit who travel from coast to coast because it is an immense amount of work and a huge sacrifice that prevents them from having, you know, a a full family experience when you've got kids at home and you're on the road for, you know, 30 weeks of the year. That's, that's an amazing sacrifice these people do. And, you know, it may look like, Oh, they're out drinking whiskey every day. They're working, they're working every single day there. So um, I think that's the biggest um, drawback is, is the ability to not be in more places at once. (laughs) For Uh, sure. You're you're only one person. I remember talking to like Ray Daniel came to Edmonton to do a tasting for the club uh, last fall. And it was a late tasting, of course. And so 
but we just got into talking kind of thing. And he, he was just like some, sometimes I'll go three months and be home for like maybe a week worth of that entire time. This sacrifice, like you said, that goes into to, to doing these jobs is, is substantial. Yeah. And there's a lot of great support systems in, in, in place for different companies and, and it may not be for other people. And I, I take huge credit in my um, predecessors and, and mentors and helping me manage that uh, is huge. But uh, Martin Markvidson, uh, the, the senior brand ambassador for Highland Park, was telling me all these amazing tips and tricks because he's been doing it for so long and he's a global ambassador. You know, it's, it's arriving in a foreign country with different practices at different, you know, times of, of, of day than you're used to working. And there you are trying to adapt to these people and still tell your story. Um, all the while they want you to indulge, they want you to drink, they want you to party. And it's not the case. You're there working. You're there to, to be that, that, that education piece and that ambassador and steward to the distillery. Um, you know, imbibe and enjoy yourself. But for us, it's, you've got to remember that we're there to, to, to bring the experience to, to life. For sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm week on week off. And sometimes for me, like it seems like I'm gone way too long and like the travel, like, yeah, I mean, I fly once a week. It can get to be a bit much. I just, I couldn't imagine. I mean, my, before I got my career now, when I started in the oil field, I was gone for eight weeks at a time. And, you know, I had two little kids at home and yeah, it's, you know, you come back and you don't even recognize them because they've grown so much in the time you're gone. And I'm thankful for that. I'm in a more stable role now where I'm week on week off. So yeah, I I totally feel, feel for uh, anybody that has to travel that much, but I mean, we, we appreciate it. Yeah. So much. Yeah. And like, for for anybody that's out there, if you get a chance to go to a tasting or to a class that any any of these ambassadors are putting on, go do it because yeah. you're you're gonna learn every single time, and your help supporting whiskey in Canada, which is always the best part. And open yourself up to everyone. I've been standing next to him and someone's coming to talk to me and then turned to him and, and said a backhanded comment about bourbon. I was like, why would you even say that? Why would you go to that that length when Ray is an enormous wealth of knowledge for all types of whiskey, been yeah. in the industry longer than I have, who who knows so much and you got to 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 allow these people to share their experiences with you. Andrew Daw, he's been in the industry for, for years and now being able to represent a great Canadian brand there and listen to him and hear what he has to say. Mike Breezebois, listen to him. He's he's the biggest nerd of us all. <laughs> he's done this you <laughs> yeah. know, out of just passion for so long. So don't just do it because like, oh, that brand's the best. Listen to us all. We're all doing this for a good reason. We all got hired because we're good at what we do and we all do it in a very unique way. So you would owe it to yourself as a whiskey fan or a whiskey explorer, you know, right to you, Mike, um, to, to explore these people <laughs> yeah. and hear what they have to say. You're doing some great name job dropping right now. You're winning some real bonus points. Smart, <laughs> smart man. <Yeah. laughs> so what, uh, what else is exciting in Cam's life other than whiskey? Do you have, do you have any hobbies? And, and obviously you said you're soccer player. Did you play it like before COVID? Were you at least in any men's soccer Big, big footy fan. Yeah. Um, one of the sacrifices I did when I took this job was not really able to play on on team consistency. I used to have midweek games in my men's leagues and, you know, those began to suffer because your schedule as an ambassador is, you know, spin the wheel. What are you, where are you going to end up? You're in this, con- this, this, 
province this day, you're at this bar at this day, you're at that account that day. You're doing all these things where you're you're not a nine to five. You're up at you know eight or nine on emails, and then you're you know out at, at bars at three or four, meeting with people, and then you're at an event from seven till ten. <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> yeah. you you do have to have these sacrifices. So I would I was lucky. I I found times during off season to to, to play games with friends, and then recently during COVID, I I, I took a, a day off and raised some money for charity by organizing a a, a pickup game uh, at a local park. And then a lot of people said, Hey, can we do that again? It's like, of course. And so then I ended up investing in a couple of pug nets. And then nice. I now organized 10 aside games uh, throughout COVID, making sure that everyone there had been, you know, safe and, and kept the numbers low and, and, and just gave people an outlet to play. And for me, that's really what it is. So I'm, I'm a huge football nut or, or soccer fan. And uh, that's a huge passion of mine. And, and beyond that, it's, you know, my, my life, my dog, my fiance, I'm getting married in, in, in July. Um, our family's growing with nieces and nephews. I'm at that time in my life where I, I always like to find a bit of balance. So it's, um, it's going to be interesting when this all comes to fruition in terms of this pandemic and we get to go out <laughs> yeah. and travel again. But for me, it's going to be about, you know, helping my, my community improve, my family improve, myself improve, and, and all the while enjoying myself while I do it. So who's your, who's your team? Uh, my mom's from Liverpool. So I'm a, a Liverpudlian uh, through and through. Um, so uh, we, we were having a great couple of years and, you know, we're, we're hurt right now, but yeah. it's, at the end of the day, uh, it's all about something to to enjoy and, and talk with. I think I I talk more with people during sporting events than I do any other time of life. So that's the whole point to to enjoy yeah, that, what your team can do. That's what sport. That's what sports is all about, right? It's enjoying the ups and the downs too, and and the and the wild ride that yeah. sports are. I'm as, just, o- as Oilers fans, as, yeah, as Oilers fans. I know. I'm just happy that you didn't say I'm a huge Toronto Maple Leafs fan because then all of a sudden I might spill whiskey on my computer and it just turns off. So <laughs> no, I'll I'll be honest. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm you know a first generation Canadian. I was raised in a, a, a football house, but um, like any good Canadian kid, everyone in my high school or just grade school played hockey. So I played. I wasn't very good. I was physical. I was a bit you know I was good enough to play. I guess select or whatever the, the, the rep level is. Um, but it mainly do just to get more physical in, in football. Uh, but when I watched it, you know, I like, I like Toronto cause I was from Toronto. Yeah. I actually loved Calgary cause there's a big old C on the Jersey. And I thought that said C for Cameron. So I like that, <laughs> but you know, so, you know, I used to like Jerome McGinley and keep yeah, So I know you'll hate Jerome. me for that. No, but, no. Jerome McGinley you know, is from this area. So we, uh, he's he like the legend. only, he's that. the only Cal- Calgary player that we, well, funny story. So it's just a side note. Um, he played junior in Calums where I grew up mm-hmm. and uh, Shane Doan actually dated my babysitter. And one day she was wow. over babysitting at her house. There was Shane Doan, Jerome Aginla, Darcy Tucker, all came and just played street hockey with us in my driveway. Like two future Hall of Famers and Darcy Tucker, who. Darcy Tucker is one of my favorite Leafs ever. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's not too many Maple Leafs. I actually collected my luggage from a carousel at Pearson Airport beside Darcy Tucker. And I said, Hey, Darcy. He's like, Hey. Yeah. <laughs> that was about it. Yeah. yeah. He was uh, in a. Like he was an abrasive little man. Like so, when he <laughs> was when yeah. he broke into junior as a sixteen-year-old, he was one hundred and forty-two pounds, and he played that style. It was like oh, he, he got he was out fiery. I loved how he was willing to challenge anybody yeah. at any point in time. No, that was fun. <laughs> uh, so what's uh, I guess let's end it with what what's next for Cam? You, can, you probably haven't hit your peak as far as being an ambassador and stuff. There's obviously still a road to travel, but like, what what are your aspirations beyond being an ambassador in the whiskey industry? 
I think within the industry, it, it, it stems from how how big can your brands get within your marketplace? And I would love to see, you know, Edrington grow within Canada and and our, our brands become, you know, one, two in terms of, you know, volume and value. And my objective there is to help grow it, whether it's an ambassador role, a sales role, or, or some sort of strategy role, getting it in, in the right places and getting it into in people's hands is, is my objective there. Because there's only two jobs in the world, you either sell or help sell. <laughs> so I, <laughs> yeah. uh, I always like to think I, I help sell, but it's, it's, it's comes from a place of, of genuine interest and love. And, and there is such a thirst and demand for the product that I want to help people find what they like and, and, and have an opportunity to enjoy it. So whatever that role may be, I, I hopefully get to enjoy it. But uh, I love these types of conversations. I love what, what you guys are doing. And I've been lucky enough to do um, interviews once a week on my Instagram channel and, and yeah. have just, you know, a bit of a, a, a one-to-one. And I love that. And the McAllen conversations, me, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 McAllen conversations. If there's a, a future for me in, in a talk show, I think I'd jump at the opportunity. Ah, there <laughs> there you mean, go. I've, I've watched a few of them with people, you know, it's people that you see on Instagram and, you know, you've never really talked to. Yeah. Personality. You're, yeah. you're talking to them. So you're like, Oh, let's tune in and see. And yeah, it's, it's so interesting. And, as a whiskey nerd, it's awesome because yeah, they've been hear, fun. Yeah, they they seem like you guys are having fun doing them, and it's it's you know another avenue for us to learn as whiskey nerds. It, you know, I don't want the focus to be you know you need to drink Macallan for this. It's we're yeah. going to have a dram of the Macallan, and we're going to have a conversation, and let's find the topic that's you know of hopefully genuine interest because it's a, a I think a, a big so what. When all this started, it was a big scramble to go get online, you know, start producing content. And I go, why? They have Netflix. <laughs> <It's>, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're going to do it so much better on, 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 on these avenues than I will. So I'm going to find a way that I can do it to a standard I, 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 I like and I think I'm confident in, but something that people would want to tune in. And it's 10, 12, sometimes 20 people. And that's really that that's special to me because... I've made a connection with them and hopefully they've discovered uh, something new and, and, you know, hopefully learned from the person I've brought on. So whether it's a, a culinary, you know, guide or, or wine enthusiast, whether it's an educator, I had Stephen Caldwell, who's a, you know, a footballer from, from Scotland. And it was just a fun conversation that gives us a chance to enjoy uh, people. And I think that's the whole point in life. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, to tune in kind of each week that you're doing it and, so yeah, I definitely encourage everybody else to to check it out. It's really really cool, and it's just people talking to people, and that's that's what we wanted this podcast to be, right? Because in the end, it is still it is still people behind these brands, and and it's passion that really is is what's speaking through or where, where these words come from. So yeah, no. More now than ever, we need humanity. Yes, and a wee dram of whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. Well. Let's, uh, so that we usually end up our podcast with like a parting class moment. Um, I don't know if you got anything to kind of any parting words that you want to want to leave our, our listeners with before we say good night. Yes, I'd love to. I think as, as someone who who's hopefully come across as genuine and passionate, I think I want everyone to discover their passion and their, their talent for whatever it may be. And as you enjoy a wee dram of whiskey, I think you should set an objective for the, the day ahead to leave it in a better place than when you found it. I like that. I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah, I can cheers to that. And honestly, Cam, we really, really appreciate your time today. I think that this has been one of the quickest almost two and a half hours <laughs> I've spent talking about whiskey. I know that the time has just flown by. Yeah. 
I haven't even really been watching the clock at all. So I, I can't say thanks enough for, uh, well, for giving us your time. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for everything you do. It's a fantastic show, and I'm absolutely honored to be on it, and I, I can't wait to listen into the next episode's upcoming. So everyone who made it this far, <laughs> congratulations. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I'll raise a glass to you two gentlemen, John and Steve. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Cheers. <laughs>